Good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a Wednesday, March 23rd edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. Um, Jam-packed show for you guys today. Jam-packed. All things Major League Baseball with Fangraphs John Taylor. Always fun. Um, Plus, man, there's baseball. Like, we're less than a few weeks away from actual regular season baseball games. That's awesome. That's really fun. Um, If you also just want to see just great baseball, you should just tune into the SEC Network most nights, and you can watch the the Tennessee Volunteers baseball team and Drew Gilbert and Jordan Beck and company uh, just continue to to rake as they drubbed the Butler Bulldogs last night. Like I tweeted, it's always great to to beat the Bulldogs. Um, On today's show, though, John Taylor, Fangraphs, talked about that. Iowa State, yeah, Iowa State. Um, We talked about Brock Purdy, uh, their crazy run from where they were last year with Steve Prom to this year uh, after the coaching change and how Iowa State pulled it off. So Nick Oson came on from uh, Iowa State's 247 blog so that was awesome so i appreciate nick for making the time to talk clones Brees hall who looks like he might sneak into the first round of the nfl draft this year so we'll see what makes matt campbell special uh spring storylines and aims all that good stuff um with nick so that was great and then we reacted charlie burris of a to z sports we had to do a whole nico podcast we had to do a tennessee volunteer nico conversation we we just had to do it um it's the biggest uh recruit in since peyton like this is this is huge um for the university of tennessee and people forget that the university of tennessee is an everything school so we talk about that um how college football is changing college sports are changing but uh tennessee being ahead of the curve a little bit in a lot of capacities which is just exciting so balls are back people forget um and don't forget folks if you're not already go ahead and hit that subscribe Eh, that subscribe button on apple spotify or wherever you get your podcast and if you are already subscribed but you have not already left this show a five-star rating and a review it would be great if you could do that today um on your preferred uh listening platform of choice i would greatly appreciate it don't forget folks you can watch every episode of this very podcast on youtube youtube.com type in the chase Thomas podcast that simple um home uh the go to the homepage. yeah chase podcast.com all the information you need about the show and then of course the daily newsletter sports renaissance man that's me sports renaissance man dot substack dot com type your email that simple um all right uncle darren let's go chase thomas pod the chase thomas podcast um my nephew needs me to record see i hate i already hate it i hate it all right we're back on the Chase Thomas Podcast, where it is... All right, I'm ready. I did this yesterday. I'm ready. Charlie Burris is here. And Charlie, I've got something for you. You're going to love this. You're going to love this right out of the gate. Okay. Nico! Is a Tennessee volunteer. And <laughs> it is a beautiful thing, Charlie Burris. Um, I am I am just so excited. How are you feeling? Like, 24 hours, like, you got... Uh, you found out, I know, yesterday, live on the air with Zach Reagan uh about the nico pick we had the VolQuest guys just flying out to long beach for the in-person scoop college football is just it's year-round sport now but also that's okay with me because you know what nico is a tennessee volunteer and i i don't care what anyone says to me i don't care how annoying south carolina fans continue to be how annoying kentucky fans continue to be i am happy and they cannot take 
Nico from us. How are you feeling, Charlie? The the state of college football just in general is pretty wild. I think this mm. is it it feels like Tennessee might have set a precedent here. Hmm. And it I am right there with you. I could not be more happy because I do think that this is if things end up being great for Josh Heifel, like he takes that upward trajectory um that you that a lot of guys do after they get absolutely elite recruits. I mean, this is the moment that you're gonna look back on. You're gonna be like, that was the that was the genesis. That was the beginning. Um, so that's in- incredible. I still <laughs> said this before we got on here. I, I don't know if I'm more happy or if I'm just totally shocked, shell shocked, because you just when does this stuff happen? Yeah, for Tennessee, this mm-hmm. is not what happens for for uh, UT. You know, twenty years since the last time we got a five star quarterback in the fold. Obviously, you still got to lock him down. Although I. Just from how the does general... that work though? If you sign an NIL deal, which he may or may not have signed, how does that work? If you get out of like, I is this? I, I don't know how that would work. That would get ugly fast. So this is this is what I mean. And sort of like the Tennessee set like an almost a national precedent here, mm-hmm. where we're serving as like the Supreme Court of college football, <laughs> sort of as far as NIL deals go. Yeah, because let's let's say that all of this the speculation is is that it he he was on the receiving end of this eight million dollar. NIL mm-hmm. deal uh, that the athletic reported on. And it's, I mean, some of the terms that I, I have, I haven't read, like I didn't go back and read it in the last couple of days since this uh, was announced, but the terms were kind of like, they, they really locked you in. If it's, I'm mm-hmm. thinking back to what I read in that. Um, so I don't know. I mean, yeah. I, if that did happen, I hope he has a good, lawyer or agent or something well let's hope it doesn't even come to that let's just hope it doesn't come to any of that like let's just hope that's not what happens yeah and and so it's you know i i saw some people yesterday tweeting about it was some like sports entertainment lawyers or something that they were Mm. tweeting about like it's is any player actually worth eight million dollars and how are you a sports entertainment lawyer and you (laughs) look at this nil stuff and and ask that question are you do you not you know, I, I assume that they actually do their research, but are you kidding? This mm-hmm. is SEC football. This is this kid could come here and if he is great, he'll be worth far more than a million dollars. Right. And and it's great great for everybody, but it is a giant risk. I mean, there's on on all sides. Who who knows? I'm how, how many Calhouns did he buy in this deal? How many Calhouns does he now own? <laughs> <laughs> he is the sole owner of Calhouns now. Because I believe wasn't the guy the guy that owns Calhoun's, he's like an Alabama fan, I think. Oh, is he really? Uh, don't quote me on that, but I do Wait, actually. Paul Feinbaum owns Calhoun's. Do what? Does Paul Feinbaum own Calhoun's? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. That is the case. Yeah, Paul. Yeah. Uh, radio, <laughs> and then he's a, a restaurateur. Uh, yeah. No, I I don't know like what the deal is mm-hmm. there. I the way that I've characterized it on our show is that. Let, let's be realistic. It's a money laundering scheme, right? Like that's <laughs> that's that's what it is. Because you again, I, you have to caveat this. If this happened, let me put the yeah. asterisk on it. If this happened, whatever it was, I mean, it is essentially Tennessee working with these sponsors, working with these donors, whoever it may be, um, to provide this money. And it's just, I mean, it's Tennessee coordinating and setting up payments, but just doing yeah. it in this roundabout way um and 
you know, I see a lot of people saying that it's going to ruin college football. Or is this? Is it this really? stuff was happening above, like under underboard, like before all yeah, this. Like it, that's the whole thing. Is like nothing. nothing like, yeah, this is nothing new. And so I obviously I'm I'm not in that camp. It's going to change college football. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt about that. It it just sends you sends you quicker right. towards basically getting rid of the NCAA, which I could not be more for. I'm 100% yeah. for the NCAA is stupid and useless and needs to be rid of. Um, but I think it it gets you there quicker. The NCAA absolutely knows that because they're fighting against it. I mean, they know what mm-hmm. this all means. And I, I'm, I'm optimistic about where all this goes, even if people are cynical, however they might feel about it. I hope that Tennessee is is on the cutting edge of all of that. That would be so incredible. I want to know the details if that is uh, really the case, and and really get. I, I I'm I'm a dork about. It. I mean, I I have a business degree from Tennessee. I want to dive into those numbers to see what it really is, because it's it's a fascinating time. I mean, this is, yeah. this is the Wild West. This is the new frontier. This is the way the college football is going, and the way that's going to be for a really long time. You adapt or you die, and Tennessee's yeah. adapting, which we exactly. have to love. Like, we're adapting ahead of the curve. We're actually exactly. adapting quickly, which is awesome. And people who are upset about it, guess what? You could have adapted too, and, like, nothing was stopping you from doing any of that. And yeah. this is a... I was telling um, the Sports Renaissance one about this last night, where I was like, the cool thing about NIL for a school like Tennessee is that because our enrollment is so high and because our donor pool is so high and because like this <laughs> Auburn will figure this out eventually when they figure out their coaching stuff and they get all this in, in order, I guess if they ever do get it in order. But like when you have this big of a pool for like <sighs> Tennessee was always built to pull something like this off early, like oh, because yeah. of how big we are, because of how much money we have, because of the boosters, like people like to make jokes about UT and the boosters and who's running university of Tennessee. And like that question, always circling the the program and stuff like that. But it's like, you know, who's running it right now. Danny white, just being like, all right, who's got the money. Let's go see what, like, I will give me the money and we'll figure it out. Like that Danny white cannot be discounted here. And just how much of a slam dunk 80 hire that was from UCF, because the man knows how to raise money and the man, I, I just, you won't convince me that this is not part of Danny White's um, vision and just him being ahead of the curve. His reputation as a fundraiser. And obviously yeah. I think it's, that's bearing itself out now. UCF's number two in enrollment in the country. Number two. Yeah. He's had to deal with this before. I mean, he's, he has been one, just like a, a leading guy in that, that segment. And I, Admittedly, I've been cynical on the whole, we got to have an AD who's a fundraiser in the past. To me in the past, that's just been annoying because it's <laughs> how about we get an AD who knows something about sports and can actually, you know, make these guys better. Yeah. But I think in this, in this NIL situation mm-hmm. where it is so much just like contracts and numbers and aligning donors and aligning sponsors and doing all of these things. I think you hired the right guy at the right time, yeah. potentially. Like you just ended up. I, I don't. I don't want to say you lucked into it, but I would say that nil stuff wasn't in place when you hired the guy. And I think we knew it was coming. I mean, we kind of lucked into Danny White because of where we were. Like it's so easy yeah. for folks to forget about where Tennessee was. Like the McDonald's bag era was not that long ago. Like how a year ago? <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like that's insane. Yeah. Like that, like how far we've come so quick. And I remember telling all my uncles and so many family members who went to UT too, that like, 
White's going to come in. He's going to make money. Like this dude is going to come in and make money. Like this is going to be the antithesis. What was going on with Fulmer where it was like SEC guy. We got to hire like it's just within the family defense, defense, defense. Like, no, this is all flash. This is all gas, no breaks. And we're just going to see what money can buy. And right now we might have seen money can buy a lot in Knoxville potentially. This is this is all I ever wanted. I yeah. I've been again as I said just really cynical on this front. <laughs> I I've been the type of guy that goes be Kirby smart. Yeah, go out and be completely shameless. I do mm. not care. This is SEC football. Yeah. If you're not ready to to swim in the snake pit, get out. I mean that that's how this works. And so to see, I I love the reactions of people that are like. If he made eight million dollars, <laughs> then blah blah blah, and I go, yeah, he made eight million dollars. That's it's also amazing. not your money. Why do you care? Why do you exactly. care? Exactly. I I I don't. And and I I said this about um you know p- people <laughs> people have trying been trying to really break down where all the money yeah comes from or whatever it might be with this the Spire Sports folks and and everything yeah. like that. I I don't care. I don't care mm-hmm. where it comes from. Do we have it? And can we get it in the hands of these kids and get them to Knoxville, Tennessee? Right. I I don't. I I would love. I would be fascinated to know the strategy, but a lot of the time, I, if I, I imagine that this isn't really going to change a lot of the time in college sports, you don't want to know how the sausage just made. Yeah. <laughs> just, well, if you have this, I, I, you don't want to know how the sausage sausage is made. If you have this, uh, this really beautiful image of what college sports is. And if oh, you're yeah. at that point in 2022, I don't know what to tell you. Like if you're a fit, if you're like, Oh, if you're clutching your pearls at learning anything about college sports in the year of 2022, like you, I, I don't know what to tell you, but you've been living under a rock forever. Like that, that should not be a thing. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm not going to act like I'm, I'm like deep in with like VolQuest and everybody that has, you know, I, I'm, yeah. I'm not an insider as far as that goes. I'm not making those phone calls all all day long. And I don't want to do that. People. I feel like you don't want to do that either. Like that's just no, not, a, not it's, something. It, it's not of interest to me. But shout out to Austin Price and all those folks who do yes. it because that's a great thing. Un- unbelievably hardworking. Mm-hmm. They do do incredible work and provide incredible information um, that I'm happy to read and yeah. <laughs> not not be a part of producing. Yeah, I want to read. I don't want to send the text. Exactly. <laughs> and and so from that again, I. I don't necessarily care how it happened with anybody that's freaking out about the potential of, oh, well, he might just be coming to Tennessee for the money or, or something like that. Is he coming to Tennessee? That's yeah. that's it. Because that what were Auburn what, fans concerned with why Cam Newton came to Auburn? Like, what was his? Did he not fall in love with the planes? Is he not a deep oh. down planes guy? Like, what? Nobody cares. Nobody I mean, cares. Are, are we are we going to act like I? Mm-hmm. This was always one of my favorite uh, talking points when Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss, mm-hmm. and he was he was getting dudes <laughs> who were from downtown Chicago. Yeah, like you think that he's getting guys to move from Chicago <laughs> to Oxford, Mississippi, because they <laughs> oh we love how it feels like you're walking underwater in the middle of the summer here. What are yeah. you talking about? They just fell in love with the Grove. They were like, <laughs> "What a setting!" Yeah, no. He paid mm-hmm. these boys. We right. all know that he paid these boys. And it's I think it's because like a lot of students and like alums, I'll have those conversations too, where it's like your college experience is nothing like 
an athlete's like it's not your intentions are different like everything is different you you have no way of having their perspective on anything so why like trying to think like an athlete is silly like you're wasting your time why you love the university of tennessee is going to be different than why someone else goes there that doesn't like why does that a matter but b it's never going to be the same they're never going to be like it's not a peyton manning situation generally speaking that's not even a t martin who really did love the university but it's like most of those guys are not coming here for that reason. And that's okay. That's not a bad thing. I, I, I do think some something that Tennessee has going forward a little bit and could have played in with mm. with Nico. Yeah. Is that these kids know they can come to Tennessee and be the star yeah. here. Where you you send him to Alabama, he's gonna potentially never play i mean five-star kids have gone to alabama and they they don't ever see the field yeah um shout out to blake barnett uh, yeah i mean they're they have a roster that's that good it's kind of the same mm-hmm. same with georgia now georgia out for some reason kirby can't seem to find a quarterback i think nico would play at georgia but yeah um but you just kind of think like he might fade into the background there but at tennessee i mean he came to campus for a visit and the entirety of Thompson Bowling Arena chanted his name. Yeah. He, he said it, it ended up actually being in his announcement video. He made it all yes. a part of it. Uh, his mom the, was crying listening yeah. to it. Like that stuff does matter for sure. Absolutely. And and when you get a kid who's who's hungry for that experience, again, does it matter that he's coming to be loved by the fans instead of loving Knoxville or loving the university? Not to me. Yeah, I, I don't care if he's not a big Littons guy. Doesn't really affect me. <laughs> <laughs> but exa- I mean, yeah, exactly. Like seriously, I this is you have to just come to grips at this point. I don't in this conversation. I always feel like I'm being condescending, and I genuinely don't mean it. But truly, you just got to come to grips with what college football is. It's pro yeah. football. College football is pro football. It's it's semi pro football. It's a feeder league to the NFL, but. Th- College football is effectively the G League. Um, and, well, and I mean, college basketball is also kind of the G League, too, yeah. <laughs> so to speak. Well, see, I would I would push back a little bit where I would say it's the Power Five or maybe a couple conferences That's true. are That's pro true. football. Like, I yeah. don't think the Pac-12 is caught up yet. Like, I think they so like, mm-hmm. who knows what the Big 12 will be. But like the group of five and the Power Five are playing two different leagues. Like they're yeah. just playing two different like the rosters are different. Like the why the majority of those kids are at group of five schools is completely different. How they get there, things like that. I think it just depends on who you're talking about. But I do think like the SEC is pro football, like the yeah. ACC and Big Ten are pro football. But yeah, I, I, mean, I agree I, with I th- the general I, sentiment. I think you're going to start to see with these NIL deals a real emergence of almost a, a feeder league system like like you see in, in baseball where it's, mm-hmm. I don't even totally understand it, double A, triple A, whatever mm-hmm. levels there are. You'll get kids who don't get discovered coming out of high school and they go to Tulane and then they're really good at Tulane. And it's not even a question when they, when they're a sophomore, they're transferring out of there and they're going to Georgia, they're transferring out of there, they're going to Tennessee and with the the transfer portal combined with the NIL, because especially with the, with the NIL here, I think the the folks giving out the money for NIL deals are going to be looking for something that they're going to be looking for something that gets them a return on their investment. Yeah. And what's a more sure thing than I've seen this kid play at the college level at a school like Tulane. I've seen that they're incredible. They're going to come here and they're going to make noise. 
And mm. that's that's the perfect setup for an NIL deal. We, we were saying it on our on this last show, talking about Kennedy Chandler. Mm-hmm. If you could scrounge up the money somehow, the you know what's a rookie contract, two million bucks or whatever mm-hmm. it would be to to make him kind of think about coming back. Who who better? That kid is going to be the bona fide star of the Tennessee basketball team next year, and whoever gets the privilege of being in on that NIL deal will get a return on their. Uh, investment because he will have such a huge profile here um and so i i think you're gonna see yeah like a sort of triple a double a system emerge where these kids go to these smaller schools get discovered hop up to the big leagues with the transfer portal and then they make money there and then they make even more money when they go pro and i i i get why people don't like the change in the shift but it What's the other, the other option? These these kids who produce billions and billions and billions of dollars for these universities and the NCAA just never get a cut. That's not yeah. right. And and so it's, it's a difference between like what you grew up around. It's like the sport. Like you couldn't watch every college football game for a lot of people who are complaining about it. Like you were limited to who was in your region. Like mm-hmm. people who grew up in Knoxville forty years ago were only watching Tennessee games, and then like the Rose Bowl and like the big ones. They weren't able to watch that. You weren't able to just. I mean, there was no Twitter, there was no social media, there was no Instagram for what, like, there was no uniform, like, it's just, it's a different time. And to pretend otherwise, is just, you're going to get left behind. It is what it is. Like, the it's yeah. it's flowing this way to bring it back to what we were saying. It's like, the this is where it's going. So if you want to be successful, and you want to win football games, which is still like, guess what, I'm not going to be thinking about how different college football is when Nealon's rocking and we're up 35, 14 on Florida. Like that's not going to change my experience like whatsoever. Like I'm not going to be thinking, oh man, I, I don't know. I, I just, I can't shake this NIL aspect of college football and what it's done to my sport. <laughs> that thought's not going to go to my head. My thought is going to be yelling at the Florida fan, like three seats over to me. Like that's where my head's going to be at. Like that, that just, I don't think I think people overthink it a little bit where it's like, A, you don't have any control like that. You have no say, no control, like worry about things that you can actually control. That will save you a lot. This is just like general life advice. Worry about the things that you can actually control and you'll be a lot happier and don't give a shit about the stuff that you can't. So this is one of those things and you can't. So just enjoy the ride. Tennessee's got Nico like. I, I can't wait. I will say on the flip side of this because this is the University of Tennessee and you and I have seen the story before. There's going to be a disaster where it goes the other way. Like we're going to yeah. see an like we're going to have an NIL embarrassing disaster. I don't know who it's going to be. I hope it's not Nico, but that's going to happen. And Twitter is going to love it. Wolken has already got the tweet lined up ready for it. Maybe Pat Forty. I mean, just they're ready. Because this is gonna, we're gonna get some egg on our face at some point because Tennessee's throwing money. And again, I guess this is all alleged because until it's official that Nico was the eight million dollar kid, we can't say for certain. We don't know. But once that comes out, or once it comes out that Tennessee's throwing this serious amount of money, and it backfires at one point, they're gonna they're gonna do it. Yeah, I I, I think Tennessee already has an incredible set of lawyers who, who mm-hmm. work for them. This is only gonna. Like what a great day for for lawyers in Knoxville, Tennessee. Right? Yeah, <laughs> well, um, yeah, that's absolutely going to happen, and it's just going to be college football feeling its way through the changes in the market. You, I, I really actually like uh, on three has been mm-hmm. an absolute cutting edge of this, where they're really trying hard to put a number on kids for nil. Yeah, uh, they actually did it with Nico. I they they wrote an mm-hmm. article about it that I was looking at today. 
the the number that they had pegged it for was like three hundred and forty thousand bucks or something, and it was based on currently sort of his exposure. How many social media followers does it does he have? What kind of profile does he have? Being the quarterback at the University of Tennessee with the fan base that that this school has, mm-hmm. uh, and they projected out like three hundred forty thousand dollars. Obviously, on a different plane than the the eight million that people are talking about. And again, mm-hmm. I, and I hope people understand like. If if you didn't read the article that's around that, it's not like they're just gonna hand him a check for eight million dollars. Right. It's it's a yearly thing. It's it's set in a way to make him stay mm-hmm. uh, at Tennessee, which is an an aspect of that that I really that love. we want for Kennedy Chandler and basketball guys for the one and done stuff. Yeah, please, yes, <laughs> please let it. I I even I don't remember if I said this on air. Or I was just saying it to somebody else, so I apologize if I'm repeating myself to anybody that's listening to other stuff. I do. Um, but I, I really hope that it specifically with college basketball, you saw the product is hurt by the fact that kids can just leave early and mm. you get a kid who's, who's really raw, but really good for one Jabari Smith's like a great example. Kenny Chandler's a great example. Jabari Smith being like the top example in college basketball yeah. this season. He's raw, he's young. And if that kid stayed for another two years at Auburn, it's just going to be an NBA player playing at the college level. And what does that do for the level of college basketball and the quality of the game that's being played uh, at the college level? I mean, that would just be incredible. If Kennedy Chandler comes back, make no mistake about it, Tennessee will be a top five team preseason next year, if not number one. I mean, you you will be right there. And uh, I I so badly want to see that happen because the, the potential is there. It's like yeah. pay pay these kids in a way that that's comparable to what they would get at the pros. Just right, like I, Keon's not having fun. Keon's already on team number two. Yeah, man. This is year one. He's already on team number two. It's so easy. Obviously, college basketball and college football are, are different from each other in, in a number of ways. But with college basketball, kids are so eager to jump where they go like yeah. what? They want that I'm gonna get a draft pick. Like like Keon did, yeah, he was a first round draft pick. Yep, he goes, and I don't want to say he's flamed out. He's got a long road ahead of him. He but I mean, he's in a there. tough spot now in Portland, and suddenly, like, it can change on a dime, man. Like, it's just you go, you get drafted to the wrong situation. You're not mm-hmm. ready. You bounce around a little bit, and then it's over. Like Keon could be done. He could be yeah. playing overseas in two years. Like, and that kid had all the talent in the world. And yeah, I, I agree with what you're saying. Where it's like, there, if we had a way to just appetize him to stay for another year like what he could have done especially this year like the closing lineups like i talked about it a lot where i was like keon was the one i missed like springer would not have affected much but like keon with chandler for this year would have been a lot you would have had the best backcourt in college basketball yeah in my opinion you were close to it this year Mm -hmm. with with vescovy and 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 uh, everybody, you know, Triple J and all those guys. Ziegler out of nowhere, yeah. Oh, it's, yeah, that's right. Ziegler, yeah, really being the. <laughs> Who was going to be at Tennessee there. for like 37 years? I'm excited yes. for his tenure here. He's, yeah. I, um, and that's, and what an unbelievable <clears throat> blessing that's, that's going to be because he is, he's <clears throat> just, he's a little too short for the pros if we're being totally yeah, honest. Yeah, like he's, he's not gonna going, here. yeah, like yeah. he's going to be here for a while. Like he's a Tennessee mm-hmm. lifer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, that's, uh, but it's, it's an exciting time. To me, mm-hmm. I, I know a lot of people are scared of exactly where all of this is heading. I think you're you're not going to lose the pageantry. You're not going to lose the excitement. You're not going to yeah. lose the the intrigue of college sports. All that's still going to be there. It's just going to look a little different. And that's yeah. 
that's okay. It's also not going to affect you. It's going to be different for the athlete. It's not going to yeah. be different for you. It's going to be different from what it was with Peyton and T to what it is with Nico and uh, Taven Jackson and guys like that. It's just different. Yeah, di- and different different in the way that it always needed to be different. Right. Different in the way that a kid like, like T. Martin can come to Tennessee and finally win a national championship here, and T. Martin should have been selling his jersey yes. in the ball bookstore for all of those years, and everybody would have been buying it. But instead, he won a national championship at Tennessee, and what did he? What did he? Could get you out imagine how much Kamara would have made? Like oh, Kamara, man. I mean, and and of course now, thank thankfully, uh, retroactively, he's still super relevant and has like the the landscape is even different from when when this happened with T because after the fact Kamara was able to get like his his name in yeah. on products uh, at at UT. Um, but, uh, yeah, you just, the, the amount of, I, I was actually, I was at the, the, the vol shop earlier today. I was picking mm-hmm. up, the, I was picking up the SEC championship t-shirt I ordered. Nice. Um, and, uh, I, I was there earlier today and they have an entire section mm-hmm. of NIL <laughs> uh, athlete, uh, apparel. Yeah. And it's so awesome. You think like all of those kids across the board, some of these, some of these guys that play like baseball. Yeah. When Shout we, out to Drew Gilbert hitting 500 yeah. through a month and a half in the season. Shout Un, out to my guy. Unthinkable before mm-hmm. this era. And now that kid is getting to make money doing what he loves for the University of Tennessee. That's incredible. That's Especially baseball players incredible. who, if people don't know, there's a really good um, documentary by friend of the pod, Matt Wyatt, out in Mississippi, who covers mm-hmm. Mississippi State, former quarterback. Um, he did a good documentary called Uneven on college baseball like just dive into that and just like how scholarship rules work in college baseball and like how rough it is for a lot of college baseball players so yeah like that it's it's not the same so that's a like that's a huge win for me where it's like football players especially basketball like the high-end basketball guys are okay but in terms of uh baseball guys like jordan beck and dudes like that getting getting paid is a is a good thing speaking of tennessee baseball leading the D1 baseball and dingers and it's not even close. I think we're up like 13 and having been at a lot of these yeah. games, it's wild. Like our, we had a, I think on Sunday afternoon when I was there most recently, we had like back to back with, I think it was Stewart and then um, Evan Russell back to back, but it's just, I'm taking it for granted now where it's just like the dingers are just happening. Like I'm ready. I'm like, it's been like four innings and no one's hit a home run. What's happening here? What, what, what's happening? And it's, it's a delight. Tennessee baseball, an absolute delight. I need people to realize if I could preach anything that's happening right now, I, yeah. I definitely preach this with, with basketball near the end of the season. But right now with baseball, the exact same applies. Cherish this. Yes. Cherish this. There is something special brewing with Tennessee baseball right now. There's uh, something brewing special with everything. We can end here. That's like, true. I, I always say, like, I'll quote tweet when I see something else positive. I'm like, we're in everything school right now. Like, mm-hmm. take it. Like, we're good at everything. And that's Georgia fans. Like, we'll get in my mentions about blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you're not in everything school. Like, it's cool that you're running football, but you're not. And it's like, oh, well, what if you want to blah, blah, blah. Like, just look across the board. I don't care. We'll put our rowing team up against anybody. You can come to Oak Ridge. We'll outrow you. What's up? <laughs> yeah. But I, but like, to that, to that point, uh, I was at the SEC tournament. Just was yeah. l- lucky enough. Me and friends go every year, and it just so happened we we put in our time, and finally Tennessee paid it off for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were a, a thousand Texas A and M fans. Maybe that might be generous. Texas A and M fans there. Yeah. They do not care about basketball. They don't. 
And they made it to the SEC championship game. Well, to be fair, they probably didn't think that it was worth it to fly from College Station to Tampa for the SEC tournament based on the kind of season they've had. But to that point, they mm-hmm. don't. So, so my, I I should give that full context. My sister went to Texas A and M, and oh. I know, and a whole side of my family did also. Um, they don't care about basketball ever. <laughs> <laughs> they don't. They never. And it's crazy because like yeah. they had they had Caruso. And, mm-hmm. and a number of Chris Middleton, who's like mm-hmm. really good in the NBA now, uh, and just in recent years, and they still they just don't really care. Um, and they and Buzz Buzz is a really good coach. Yeah, and it just is their football school. They're yeah. the, it's kind of just the nature of the place. And and Tennessee, I the the fans and the way that they care, and they Tennessee deserves to have things in every sport be good because we'll show up for mm. any of them just give us a winner we'll sell out the baseball stadium L- literally we'll what whatever it, it may be swimming I, you know mm. just give us something and and we're going to be excited about it uh and and so i mean it's like the knicks like i tell people that tennessee is like the knicks like the fan base reminds me a lot of the knicks fan base where it's like they're going to show up they're going to be like all over twitter they're going to be after their coach they're going to have unrealistic expectations at all times but they're going to be passionate. They're going to put money into the program. They're going to buy whatever you ask them to buy. They're going to step up and drop 300 K to help out Sakai Ziegler's family at the drop of a hat. Like they're going to, they're going to back, like they're going to put their money where their mouth is and they're going to put their support where their mouth is. So like, that is something that if no, like just 50 years from now, the support will be the same in Knoxville. The support for the university of Tennessee will be the exact same. Like it's not going anywhere. And that's like, I think probably been the most frustrating part about it tennessee at times it's like the support's there the money's there there's just this is a great place to play and if you're an athlete like nico it's it's different like i imagine when he was at the vanderbilt game and just seeing a hundred two thousand like i i didn't i now i wish i was looking for him because i was like one row up in the end zone like right there and i'm like i wish i had been paying closer attention of where nico was but um it it's just different. It's a Coliseum. Like Neyland's the best SEC stadium by far. And it's because it's like a Coliseum. It's like you're walking into a Rome, uh, a Rome Coliseum just with the way it's like how big it is, how loud it is and how old it is. Like, it's just, it's a different thing. It's, it's why I've gotten so, I mean, angry is really the right word frustrated in the past because I certainly feel like it's, it's not, not the same right now. Thankfully, they are course correcting, and I appreciate it. But in the past, Tennessee's administration has just totally taken advantage of this fan base mm-hmm. and the the loyalty loyalty that they bring because they they essentially knew that they could roll a crap product out there, and Tennessee fans are going to show up. Yeah, is what we do. We it doesn't it doesn't matter um, what you put out there because we're just loyal to to a, a fault essentially, um, and I. Through all of those rough times, I always went like, do not do that. Like, don't look a Tennessee fan in the face and, and give us crap and say that, isn't this great? Look, mm-hmm. we're going to raise ticket prices. We're going to do, you know, all the stuff that they were doing. Why aren't you buying our merch? Well, you stink. <laughs> That's why. Uh, and and that always made me really mad. And to see them finally, like, putting putting effort behind. I, a lot of people give them a hard time. But the way that... that um, Danny only tweets about like ancillary sports. I get it. He he wants to emphasize that Tennessee is about more than just football and basketball. We're always going to show up for that. Mm-hmm. But 
with with everything else doing well, just the rising tides raise all raises all ships or whatever the yeah saying is you know and and it's not it's not disrespectful to Tennessee fans, which is what I I appreciate. I mean, just look at baseball. Spring's awesome. Like now that mm-hmm. baseball is here, like having that just right there and just those games are so much fun. So Knoxville folks, if you've not just gone since go. Vitello is re- just go. It's so much fun. Like being there for the walk off, like with Gilbert, like just I'm telling you, man, just go. And it, like it's goosebumps all the time. And just it's not going to be like this forever. It's not going to be like this forever. I mean, I, I'll I'll say this. The in the the last five years, I, I would say um, the two best Tennessee sporting events I've been to were the SEC championship to, you know, <clears> a week <throat> ago uh, and the the walk off homer. Uh, that Max Ferguson hit against Arkansas yeah. last year. It was the place. Obviously, it was packed up to the rafters, mm. and you win on a, <laughs> a walk off over it. It was so awesome. Like that's that's some of the most fun that you can have with Tennessee sports right now. Like just, again, don't don't take advantage of it. Don't or yeah. do do take advantage of it. Don't uh, don't take it for granted. That's that's what I meant to say. Don't take it for granted. Go go and enjoy it because it is yeah man, totally awesome. My, I think uh, the South Carolina game with uh, the family here was probably my favorite football from this year, just because the bear, it just the sad South Carolina fans, just <laughs> another one. Like it, it was just the beat down and just seeing Shane Beamer look helpless in the sidelines was, it was, uh, it was, it was a lot. And um, there were South Carolina fans before the game, like, oh, I don't know. It should be a back and forth game. I'm like we're, this game's over in the first quarter. Like we're stomping on your necks in the first quarter. The, there's nothing like the hype machine in quarter number one. There's oh. nothing like it. There's nothing yeah. like it. Charlie Burris, how do the good folks check out your work at A to Z sports and everything else? Yeah. Uh, so A to Z sports.com. Uh, I, I write stuff over there along with my podcast co-host, Zach Reagan. He's, he's all over that website. That, that dude, <laughs> uh, he writes so much stuff. It's, crazy actually um but then the big orange podcast just type that in where all good podcasts are sold or just on on youtube or just type in a to z sports on youtube been been trying to sell the youtube mm-hmm. lately uh it seems like we're you're going to video too here so yeah um yeah that it's it's a, a great thing to do we we post the podcast and clips from the podcast yeah uh, on on the a to z sports youtube page otherwise at Charlie underscore Burris, but I'm a psycho on Twitter. You don't, you don't want any of that. Just don't, you know. I like it. You do stuff I won't do because I just, people don't want me tweeting through Tennessee games. Like people, like I, I would get fired if I was tweeting through the game on Saturday night. Like it's it's good that I was not tweeting. I, I said yesterday, AJ Brown, the mm-hmm. wide receiver for the Titans, he, he popped off and said some stuff after Matt Ryan got picked up by the Colts. Mm. Uh, and then he tweeted, he deleted the tweets that he had put up and then he tweeted, I got to stop tweeting what everything that I'm thinking. I don't mean any harm. And I was like, I could not relate to this more. I got to stop tweeting everything that I'm thinking. I, I mm. swear. <laughs> I, I don't mean anything by it, but, uh, yeah. So if you want to follow there, it, it is there, but, uh, otherwise I appreciate you having me on, man. This, this was a blast. This is a good time. Yeah, we'll be doing these more with more. I mean, hey, we'll come back in a couple weeks with Carnell Tate. Like maybe he gets exactly. 
it, yep. it, it, it this is how it starts man this is how it starts and Hopefully. folks if you're looking to kill an hour and a half go to nico's instagram story because he's got nine thousand clips up so if you look at it it goes forever and forever and i was like i was not watching all that and i i wanted to watch some of it because i feel like he might have done it because I, I shared it out and i'm like i feel like i'm in here i feel like i'm in here let me see if i'm in here i'm like i'm not doing this I'm not doing it but shout out to nico who made the best decision because of his love and endearing love for the color orange and yes. wanting to be the best fall that he can be. So shout out to Nico. Shout out to Carnell Tate, avid listener of the podcast. Um, looking forward to seeing what you're up to in the next couple of weeks. Uh, fingers crossed. Charlie, thank you so much. Talk to you soon. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, we're back here with John Taylor of Fangraphs.com. The great John Taylor is here with the New York skyline behind him. I don't know how he gets anything done in the evening with that skyline. I'd just be staring out all the time looking for the Cloverfield it's, monster. I, I look the right way too. There you go. There you Sorry, go. I feel like I, I feel like when I got introduced, I should have done the very like CNN talking head, like wait like 10 seconds and then go be like, it's a pleasure to be here. And like, just do like the fake, like satellite, like the fake satellite mm-hmm. delay thing of, Yes, that's right, Wolf. And then just go on from there. But especially because yeah, with the with the skyline and everything. Would you uh, agree to uh, one of those like beats? Like if they hit you up and they were like a, just some, I don't know. Not, I'm trying to think of who would be the the example here. But if they called you in to do like one of those news networks during the lockout to do like a two minute TV hit, would you say yes? I would say no. I was like, uh, that sounds awful. I don't want to do any of that. Uh, uh, I've I've never done a live TV hit. Um, yeah. I've, been on tv for mlb now but that's yeah as far as at least when it comes to talking baseball that's it i mean i've done a few live radio hits so i feel like it's probably i mean the only difference obviously people can see what you're doing the entire time right i would just love it you know to do a live hit with me so that they can see me just like kind of gradually reaching off screen while trying to keep my face to the camera so i can look something up so i you know i sound like i know what i'm talking about but yeah um i mean also it depends on the tv network you know I don't know. I just don't want to do a truncated conversation where it's like throw your stuff out in two minutes and then it's that's it's, it. it's tough. Yeah, it's it's tough, especially for something like, you know, like the lockout, for example. That's a yeah. tough one to that, can you do this in two minutes? All right, John Taylor, you're on. Fix the lockout in a minute and forty seven seconds, and then we're off. Yeah. Like, okay. Mm-hmm. First first start. You round up all the owners <laughs> and you incarcerate them. But then that's the point where the live feed just gets cut. So Right. Depending on the network, advocating for like violent revolution at the hands of like <laughs> at the hands of baseball players, and you were like, "Well, you gave me a minute and forty, so I don't know what else you wanted me to do there." Um, exactly. I'm just I'm going to be there advocating for a Maoist <laughs> version of baseball where the landlords are decimated. There you go, um, John. You uh, you got to spend some time this weekend with Fisher, Fisher the mm-hmm. dog. How was yes. that? Did you? Did you what Fisher's was your? Good. What was the experience? What, what was the most memorable part? of the weekend with Fisher the dog? Uh, definitely the time when I went to open the door to my apartment on the way back from a walk uh-huh. and he started a little forward because he was right waiting right for the door to open. But uh-huh. my, my lock key got stuck so the lock didn't open right away. So he just mm-hmm. bonked his head into the door and then had to, like, <laughs> stepped back a minute. And I was like, well, that's why you wait. You you concussed Fisher is what happened there. I don't, number one, there's not a whole lot to concuss up there. Um, that's as, wow as far as i can tell his brain is like roughly five or six marbles just kind of rolling around <laughs> and occasionally colliding with each other which yeah. to be fair it seems to be the the 
the about as many marbles as most dogs are working with at any given time. So right, but also they're happier. There's something to be said, yeah, man. No, about there is, there's a there's a lot to be said about the dog lifestyle of no thoughts, just vibes. Yes, I I go back and forth on that, man. That would be cool to experience a couple days. They're, they're just chilling at all times. They are vibing. They're chilling. Um, I don't really have anything new with uh khaleesi the dog she uh she hated getting put in some tennessee stuff over the weekend um she's not a big like put stuff on her she's not uh about the uh the the jerseys that i'll put on her or like the she has a hufflepuff um bandana because she looks like a little badger and you know as people know hufflepuff uh it's the the badger so as the 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 harry potter stands are very familiar with um it's a big thing. It's a very, it's a house divided, John, because uh, I'm a Ravenclaw. I, I've always been a Ravenclaw and I've, um, I always get that. But the sports renaissance woman, Slytherin. I don't know what to do with that. It was a groundbreaking situation when we learned through the, uh, the, the sorting hat that, that was the case. But I don't know. I don't know how that works. I don't know what you can do with that. I don't know what the, the history is there. I, I have no idea because I've never done any of this. <laughs> Just what's no, the nerdiest no wait what's the nerdiest fiction series that you're into or have been into um i don't know is the are the a song of ice and fire slash game of thrones books can still considered nerdy now oh yeah like for okay. sure like the the tv yeah. show i don't think is nerdy but like for the folk there's a difference between the book crowd and the tv show crowd okay yeah, crowd I, i've is, read yeah. i've read the books like i've read the books over a few times now same yeah um because our... like you have to be really into like the the specifics of george rr R. martin's uh oh, sure. fruits and food and just like how he wants yeah, to describe the, the them food porn yeah someone who grew up with the red wall series of books which mm-hmm. were are a, a, a pillar in the food porn community <laughs> when it comes to like fantasy food description um that that feels at home to me but that's that's probably the i mean there are plenty of things i like i otherwise nerd out about like mm-hmm. uh but in terms of like books the nerdiest mm-hmm. book yeah that's I mean, of the, the like fantasy, you know, sci-fi realm, that's that's probably as nerdy as I've gotten. I mean, I've I've I started reading the Expanse books, which is basically Game of Thrones but sci-fi. I don't know if if you mm-hmm. anyone any of your listeners watched the series. It was first on sci-fi, then on Amazon. Um, mm-hmm. That is a I mean, it's it's hard sci-fi, so it's like it's it's sci-fi that is like scientifically accurate. Um, mm-hmm. you know, like every, they have to take into account things like gravity and inertia and all that other fun. So it, it really is th- those books. And, and also that show are a great catalog of all the various ways in which space just sucks and will kill you Yeah, because it is just a completely inhospitable environment for man. And the slightest mistake will get you, will just end, will end with you dead. So also, but also a good series to nerd out about if you're particularly, if you're into the, again, to the hard sci-fi or the more like kind of NASA spacecraft oriented side of, of yeah. sci-fi and nerdery. There you go. Uh, would you like so to do it today? It base- Martian, that <laughs> Sorry. There you go. Um, do you know what today is in baseball history? It's our, our favorite way of kicking off these major league baseball shows, John. I thought you were actually going to say what today in baseball history was. Oh, I'm yeah. 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 I was going to say, I, I, I don't know. Well, no some, one week you could just say no and be like, no, I'm just I'm out on baseball history this week. Um, 1962. Like baseball history. Every uh, baseball history is good. Who doesn't like um, baseball history? March 22nd, 1962. 
Roger Maris declines to pose with Mets coach Roger Hornsby because the veteran had criticized him in the recently published autobiography, My Wars with Baseball. In the book, the 65-year-old Hall of Famer dismisses the Yankee slugger as a mediocre hitter who couldn't bat 400 even with all of his averages added up. Flames. Uh, old, old time Flames. Old no time picture beef. taken. They're like, no, we're not doing it. No picture. Wait, this, this was Rogers Hornsby and who, sorry? Roger Maris. Roger Maris, okay. For a second, mm. I heard Roger Clemens, but I was like, that doesn't make any sense. No. Um, well, I mean... To be fair to Roger Maris, Roger Hornsby was a cranky racist. So, you know, maybe maybe we don't have to listen to him on every or not don't have to, but his his opinion certainly came with a big old asterisk on a lot of things. Yeah. Um, Who's the best baseball book? Because like or baseball autobiography that you've read? You know, I haven't read very many baseball autobiographies. Like I've never read yeah. all four, for example. Um, mm-hmm. just, it is just I, I I really should at some point that I've just never kind of made the effort to do so. So. More most of the baseball books I prefer. I don't know if you can you can kind of see them on the background <laughs> up. Yeah, 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 up there in the corner. Yeah, there you go. Here, uh, there, you're almost there. Go that uh, that way, that way. There, there it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you can see I got a couple of Roger Angel books up there. I got mm-hmm. a, a Peter Gammons, uh, the ubiquitous Moneyball. I, I think I prefer reading more about the the seasons and the games than i do like mm-hmm. you, like I, i've also just never been a big biography or autobiography guy i don't i don't know why it's just it's never been my preferred genre of history or history reading i don't like autobiographies i like his nonfiction about uh, a certain subject so like if there is a like i just i'm never gonna fully buy into wasting my time with someone who writes about themselves for hours on it like i just, just i just find most sports autobiographies like for starters the athlete's not writing them anyway you know and that's true mm-hmm. like they're they're closer really to celebrity autobiographies than they are to anything else because it's yeah. the same process like some pr media relations re- like reporter who is you know who gets a quick paycheck for it interviews the player basically gets mm. them to tell stories and then writes it as if it were like yeah they're, they're all they're all ghost written you know mm. there are very few if any athletes who i think and like that's why something like ball four does stand out because that that obviously was not ghost written and it is also it's also more a tale about baseball around jim Booten than it is about him i mean it is, it is obviously obviously about him but it's mm-hmm. about his life in baseball. And I think that's what I find more interesting is less about the, the personal stuff about the individual guys. Maybe not, not not less interesting. But that I, I get I really should just read ball four. But I think that's the kind of biography that that interests me the most. But I do like the idea that back in the it, just as now, back in the day, old old retired players would write cranky books about how they didn't like anybody <laughs> because they were all just really old and cranky. And poor Roger Maris, too. Like, goddamn. No one has ever like that dude broke one of the greatest records in MLB history. And all it earned him was a, was a bowl full of shit. Like (laughs) the man, Uh, the man didn't even get into the hall of fame for it, which granted, like he's not a hall of famer, (laughs) but like that it, he, all, all of those sacrifices that he had to endure and the stress and the, the, the hatred he got for it, all of it just to get like, be a name i mean granted the name in the book but man he he really he got a lot of slings and arrows for doing something that i it, it is just i think i don't know i mean i i, I don't know what would happen i guess we saw it play out with bonds although that was very different but 
I would be curious now what would happen if the home run record, I guess, would be the equivalent of Roger Maris breaking Babe Ruth's record. It would be the equivalent, or not so much Babe Ruth's record, but the equi- who's like the 2021 or 2022, rather, equivalent of Roger Maris? Like, who, if they hit 73 or whatever home runs this season, would you be like, well, I didn't see that coming? And also, who the hell is this guy? You're putting me on the spot here. Uh, well, I think it'd, it'd be if someone like Kyle Tucker did it. I was going to say Nick Senzel, maybe. <laughs> yeah, or like, uh, yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm not a baseball historian in enough of the sense to know like mm. how like how well um, talked up or how good of a prospect Maris was before he got to the majors. Yeah. Like this was, I don't think this was Brady Anderson hitting 50 home runs out of nowhere. But yeah. it's just funny to me. Like, if you were to put that same, if you were to have that same scenario now, mm. where a dude is going to break Bonds' home run record, and it's not necessarily like a, you know, it's not like Fernando Tatis Jr., it's not Juan Soto, it's some like second or third tier star. Mm-hmm. Like, would he get the same level? I mean, I guess it's it's different because it'd be breaking Bonds' record, and there's still a huge number of baseball fans who do not consider Bonds' record to be legitimate. So. Who knows? I don't know. It, it just everything about the home run home run record just is funny now at this point because nobody liked Maris breaking the single season record, and in retrospect, nobody liked McGuire breaking Maris's record, and in retrospect, nobody liked Bonds or even at the time, nobody liked Bonds breaking uh, McGuire's record. So I'm guessing that the next time it comes around, assuming that we don't get any nasty revelations 15 years after the fact, people will mm. probably be a little happier to see that that record belong to someone else. But it would be really funny if it ended up belonging to like kettle Marte or something yeah well we'll see we'll see um, like chris bryant in colorado that would actually be the that would be the funniest possible outcome is chris bryant sets a new single season home run record in colorado that would be a delight um on a team that wins like 60 games yes uh more home can, runs and wins i can i can <laughs> definitely see that that would be an incredible storyline though to uh to follow um kenley jansen Speaking of storylines to follow, the Braves, Dodgers, and just the bloodbath that will be uh, this season between the two of them. Kenley Jansen, Braves get two closers. They were rumored to be in on Craig Kimbrell with a reunion there. But ultimately, Jansen is a Brave. Man, uh, the Braves bullpen. Col- uh, Mr. McHugh in the bullpen now. Yeah, we, we, I don't uh, think we even mentioned that one when it yeah. happened. I don't remember if it, if it happened after we recorded or not, but like that one was wild. Like, Granted, like I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised that you know. I think McHugh is from Atlanta. He so went I, to Providence. I, he went uh, to a high school, private Christian school, small one, okay. like maybe five minutes from where I grew up. Yeah. Okay, so again, local boy. So I'm not surprised like yeah. a local guy wants to come home. But at the same time, like that, it what what kind of stood out to me about that is like look, man, I was like that bullpen was already good last year for the most part. Mm-hmm. Didn't really lose anyone. I think Chris Martin yeah. was the most notable name who walked. And, and now they've gone ahead and made stretch. it. If not even maybe, and I think this is the thing um, with McHugh and Jansen, where even if they're not necessarily, if if McHugh is not as good as he ha- as he was last year, and if Jansen is no longer really Kenley Jansen anymore, and I think it's pretty clear that he is not the Kenley Jansen of you know of his peak when um, when he was you know the Dodgers unhittable closer. He definitely mm. is something different now, and I think you saw that last year with the fact he started. Uh, he started to throw a slider more often. He started to throw a sinker more often. He's using less of that cutter, especially as it's, you know, you know, he got some velocity back on it, which is huge. And I think that's going to be obviously a really big part of how successful he can be as, as Atlanta's new closer. But even mm-hmm. if he and McHugh don't necessarily make this bullpen better, they do make it deeper. 
Yeah. Because there's no real reason to expect either of them to be bad because they're you're going to get above average performance out of the two of them barring injury. And so now you have boy this is this is a group right here. <laughs> Jansen, McHugh, um I'm sorry. I'm, I'm now it's a it's a great group I'm already forgetting names. Smith. Will Smith as the Matic. now deposed closer. Uh Tyler Matzik who is a god for all intents yep. and purposes. AJ Minter who like I remember like he was supposed to be the heir to Craig Kimbrell. Mm. at some point and now he's like the sixth inning guy yeah. Luke Jackson is your middle relief and the, the the thing about this is not only do you have now the depth where a pretty decent reliever like Luke Jackson is like you know is probably never going to see anything past the seventh inning unless it's a blowout one way or the other yeah that's also like that's also where a guy like Luke Jackson belongs I think the thing that we saw with Atlanta's bullpen last year particularly in the playoffs was it's great but man did they have to ask a lot out of out of that group of Matzik and Minter. Minter. Minter and Matzik in particular had to do a lot of work to get the Braves to where they are. And so mm. I think it makes sense to make not to make it not just a better bullpen, but a deeper one. In particular, I'd like the idea that Brian Snicker now, you know, going into the season, especially with the shortened spring training, doesn't have to lean on those two in particular as heavily as he might have, you know, mm-hmm. if if Luke Jackson were to take a step back or if this is finally the year Will Smith completely falls apart. Because I think that was also... You know, if there was if there were really one big question mark about that Atlanta bullpen, it's how do you feel about Will Smith in the ninth inning on a regular basis? And mm-hmm. I think Atlanta's probably smart to make that to make that answer as little as we really have to at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I mean I, I like it a lot for Atlanta. I think it's 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 gonna be able to give them they give their guys more rest and it's gonna make them nightmarish to deal with in the postseason. Um, you know, where we're talking about a bullpen yeah. that can cover five innings a night in the postseason, no problem. As as befitting a group called the night shift. So exactly. I will say I'm pretty concerned about the outfield depth. Uh with Solaire getting his three year deal from uh Miami. Um, I don't know what uh it's with Pache now not being in the fold, Acuna not being ready out of the gate, the nonsense with the Zuna that like, oh, Rosario being he's still gonna be required to be a an important cog in the regular season. Well, he'll be, and he'll be Adam Duvall too. Yeah, that's like Rosario's scary. Left fielder at the moment, right? Yes, and Duvall's in right, and I don't. Or Duvall, is radius? I imagine Duvall's in center because he's the best defender out of all three. I guess he. And then who do you put in right then? Ozuna, I would suppose. <sighs> I mean, he has to play somewhere. I mean, I, I, I mean, I yeah. think they'll probably. Well, then think, who's DHing? I mean, that's kind of the thing is they'll probably just have to. The Braves will probably just have to make do in the corners yeah. until Acuna comes back and just rotate guys. I imagine Guillermo Heredia will also be a big part of that. Yeah, in that he's the best defensive outfielder out of those three, of Rosario, him, and Ozuna. So presumably the days Ozuna plays the outfield, Heredia is there to to be the defensive caddy in the later innings, or yeah. you know the days Ozuna DHs. Well, then you have Heredia playing whichever outfield spot is tougher. I imagine. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's going to be a problem initially, especially like you said, Pache is gone now. You know, that was instant death that they that they no longer have, because I I can't imagine Drew Waters is a guy they want to turn to that quickly because it doesn't it seemed like he was like a half step behind Pache. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be an issue. And yeah, it all does rely on Acuna coming back 100 percent. I mean, the good news is he does look 100 percent so far. So well, I, the I don't thing think is, it's like, you a long term problem. It's just. I think every game like people just forget how every game matters and like the games in April and May matter just as much as they do in September and October. And if our outfield is just bad <laughs> for the first month and a half that like 
if the Mets are competent and what they should be, or the Phillies who keep spending, they keep spending, they got Schwarber, they got Castellanos, like they're going to keep trying um, the Marlins, who knows, but it's like the Mets theoretically should, uh, they should be atop of this division come mid May. Like that should be where they're at somewhere in that, like based on Acuna being out and no Freeman that like, I just, I worry about what kind of start we'll get. Cause that's kind of what the Braves did last year. Remember? Like they were the, on the outside looking in midsummer, like yeah, for it the, was, whole, for should... the great majority of the year. Yeah. Because they right. didn't have, I mean, once Acuna went down, but even before that, they didn't, they didn't really, yes. they weren't getting outfield production. Exactly. And, and that can happen again. And I don't know if you're going to be able to, yeah, I don't know if, Lightning strikes twice here. Well, so I mean, that's concerned. kind of the thing is, is I guess if there is one issue you run into with the Braves is that offensively, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of depth there really yeah. anywhere at this point. And I mean, granted, there aren't too many teams that have huge depth at uh, the majority of positions. Tampa and Los Angeles are pretty much the only ones in that regard, as as is always the case. But I mean, yeah, but I, I think if 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 there's a, a positive side for Braves fans, it's the same problems apply, I think, to the Mets and the Phillies, where the depth in case of an injury, especially in case of an injury, but regardless, the you know the, the depth that you need to survive a major league season, the Phillies definitely don't have it, particularly in the outfield. Yeah. And the Mets, I think, maybe have it a little better, but the question there is going to be, you know, do they have the material resources keep going like how much how much more will steve cohen spend you know if, yeah. if the mets come to a position that the braves are at where they get to the deadline and they are nominally in the playoff race but you know not in control of the division and and whatnot does steve cohen say screw it let's go for it anyway and granted it might be easier to do that if he make if uh billy epler makes the equivalent additions of eddie rosario and jorge soler neither of those guys cost really much of anything or jock peterson for that matter mm-hmm. but yeah i mean i think that level of of offense depth on offense is probably an issue for the great majority of teams, if nothing else. And the, the other fact is a great majority of teams are not getting Ronald Acuna at any point during the season. So yeah, I mean, I, I definitely like Atlanta. I, I, I wouldn't say, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily left for them to do. I don't think they're going to be in on Michael Conforto. I, at least there doesn't seem to have been any vibe on that. Um, so I would imagine that Jansen is probably their last major move before the season. Yeah. Um, I mean, we can talk about them more in depth when we get to them, when we get to them with their. Well, I don't know. I just want to see what the spring looks like. I want to see how they hit. Like, I wonder if they're just like, oh, this outfield's a problem. Like, uh, like I don't I I just I think the only way the only way the Braves are going to see it as a problem is if we roll into May and Rosario isn't it's just simply not hitting, which is a genuine possibility. That's a possibility. Yeah. Like Rosario has been largely a slightly above league average hitter for the majority of his career. But certainly, there's no guarantee that that continues. And Ozuna might just be bad. Like he's Ozuna, out. He yeah, Ozuna is a yeah. Ozuna is a general, a genuinely a big question mark mm-hmm. as to what he's going to look like after a completely lost season in so many ways. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that is also tough on its own. And give if me Brian else, Reynolds. That's all I want. Just give me Brian Reynolds. He was meant to be a brave. Like wow, I look need at my you advocating <sighs> for the Vandy boy. I, hold on, hold on. They hold on. Let's not do that after. Did you see that new logo they put out there today? Just an absolute month. No. <laughs> okay. Well, John, I don't know why you're not getting updates on the Nashville logo scene, but um, no, like I, I'm not advocating for Vanderbilt and would never do so on this very podcast. However, however, Brian Reynolds was meant to be an Atlanta brave. And 
I just feel like we're going to trade for him in July. Let's go ahead and do this now. Well, that's I, not... I think I think the fact that Reynolds hasn't moved yet is reflective of two things. One is that his price is probably very high, as it should be. Two, mm-hmm. that there probably isn't much appetite among the contenders to make a big outfield addition right now. Because outfield, I mean, we just saw it with the Braves. Outfield is at least a position that you can address a little more cheaply and that you have at least nominally more depth available to you through the minors, through waivers, through free aid, through whatever. You know, you don't necessarily have to go for the top shelf op- option right away. And so yeah. I think that, yeah, I think that Reynolds is probably a good na- a good bet to be moved in the summer when, if and when some contender gets to that point and says, hey, we really, really need outfield help. You yeah. know, and I can think there are, there are a, a number of teams I would apply to anyway, I think. The Yankees could certainly be there if Aaron Hicks uh, gets hurt or struggles again in center field. I think the Red Sox are probably already in that position where the, uh, Reynolds is a guy who would make a lot of sense for them. I think the yeah. Mets theoretically could be there. I think but Atlanta will probably be involved in that. I think, you know, depending on what the NL Central looks like, maybe Milwaukee is involved in that. Maybe St. Louis, although St. Louis is overflowing with outfielders. Um, you know, maybe if San Diego feels like making a run at a certain point, you know, they'll they'll spend what's left of their farm on Reynolds, uh, given that, you know, San Diego is an interesting we'll, we'll we'll get to them, I guess, eventually. But, you know, they lost Tommy Pham. They clearly have no interest in Will in, in having Will Myers around really anymore. Like that outfield is a genuine issue for them, I think, in, in San yeah. Diego. But regardless, like, yeah, I, I think Reynolds, I think for whatever problem Atlanta has, there will be options to fill it. I think Reynolds eventually will be a guy who gets who becomes potentially that answer, you know, once the Pirates and I, I do think it will take to midseason for the Pirates to start moving. Like, uh, especially, you know, considering that the Pirates will probably be at that point dead last in division if it's not Cincinnati. So I think it, it's funny when we get to Pittsburgh, it's just really going to be a lot of talk about who's going to be, who are they going to make available eventually? Because, I mean, I don't know. I, I haven't really looked at the Pirates roster, but I, I don't really think. Uh, it's bad, John. It's bad. Uh, it's still I don't bad. think there's really They're any chance bad. we're talking about a, a, a dark horse contender of any sort here. Oh, absolutely not. And so, it's they a, won't. so it's just a question of, you know, of, you know, do we keep Brian Reynolds? Do we keep Cabrian Hayes or, you know, do we? Which you got to like, keep Cabrian Hayes, man. That's dark. That's a dark timeline if you move on from him now. It, it is, but that is, per, that is, Pittsburgh lives in perpetual darkness. Like, that's kind yeah. of the thing. Like, if you're already talking about moving Reynolds, like, who is, granted, like, his team control is ending relatively soon, and he's on the older side because he was a college outfielder. Yeah. But, like, ideally, it's like, you know, you have, oh, I mean, we'll get into Pittsburgh, but, like. Yeah. It is It is just kind of depressing to think that that franchise, when it comes to talking about them, is purely about who who do they have who is valuable to other teams. Because otherwise, what are we really paying attention to the Pittsburgh Pirates for? Right. Uh, speaking of teams that we're very barely paying attention to, uh, the Minnesota Twins, who signed Carlos Correa. Um, Just insert the Joe Biden Minnesota <laughs> yell right here. <laughs> oh, my God. Um it was out of left field. I don't think either of us saw Minnesota as the team for Carlos Correa. But what we will say is folks who listen every week um, that we have been on the Carlos Correa is not going to get the deal that he thought he was going to get months ago. No. So when we said that like the Cubs being number one on him for a while is a bad sign. Guess what? It was a bad sign. And that's Carlos... the, thing. The, the Cubs are only going to get involved in the same way I think any other team would get involved, which was how short can we make this deal? Yes. And how how low can we get the AAV to the point that you'll agree to? Right. And like, th- I think for Correa, this is probably given. It's got to be weird for him because he came into an offseason where ostensibly there were. 
there was one big pocketed contender that could have spent for him in the Yankees. There mm. was Detroit, which everyone had been saying they're finally going to spend. They're finally going to spend. AJ Hinch is there. Like they're ready to make a big move. You know, that would have been an option. We saw a team in Texas spend $350 million on Corey Seager. You yeah. Know, all the pieces seem to line up for him to get that bigger deal, but it just, it never really materialized. I think the Yankees not being in on Korea, and very clearly they were not in on him at all because I, this deal for as good as it is for the Twins, or at least for as much as it, I think makes their offseason make more sense. If you're the, like, they must have been out on him all the way because I don't know how they would have turned something like this down if it were offered to them. Yeah. Because even even if their play the entire offseason was, or coming into this offseason was, well, we would love to have Carlos Correa, but, but between the way Anthony Volpe and Oswaldo Peraza have played, you know, to to go beyond, you know, whatever other uh, prospects that New York has further down in their system. We don't yeah. want to make a long-term commitment to a big shortstop right now. And I guess, like, I have my issues with that. I would, you know... Just in, not even as a Yankee, like I'm not a Yankees fan, but I, I have my issues with that just purely on a, are you sure you want to bet everything on Anthony Volpe right now? That's, is that really how you want to go? This would have been the option that would have let them had their cake and eat it too. Cause Correa easily could have like with those two opt-outs after years one and two, if Correa puts together a bonkers year in the Bronx, what is he going to want to stick around for, for just two more years and 60 some million dollars, especially if the Yankees already have a kid that they're going to be like, by the way, we want him at shortstop. You're going to yeah. go play third base now or whatever. He would he would just re-enter the market. Plus, he'd have with Scott Boris as his agent, Boris would be telling him over and over again, opt out, opt out, opt out, opt out. I, I would, barring injury or a completely lost season, I don't think there's any way Correa is a twin for longer than a year. No, this is a one-year, like, I'm going to have an MVP-type season. And, and try then, Yes. And, we'll and I think too, I, would, I would be curious, too, how much the lockout and the CBA stuff Granted, none of it had a direct impact on Correa because the CBA didn't change anything about how much money you can or cannot give him. But I right. do wonder if the focus on the lockout kind of diluted his market on top of losing the team that should have been his number one suitor in the Yankees. Not to mention, it also seemed like Houston didn't really have much of an interest in bringing him back either. I know we got the leak that they had offered 10 350 uh, before yeah. Correa hit the market and they had turned that down, which... In retrospect, I wonder if he just rather would have had that deal back and just had the security of knowing. Well, I think he still thinks that he's going to get more, right? Like, I think he's still betting on being healthy enough to keep re-entering the market and. Hey, sure, and that but, and that and that makes sense. I'm just, I guess, what I'm curious. It's a bigger risk. Like we it don't is know. A risk. What I'm curious about now is, you know, if all it took essentially to derail his market was mm. one team basically saying, "No, we're not all that interested," unless you're really willing to take a in. Even then, it didn't really seem like they were interested at any price. Mm. Then, what's that? Is that market really going to be any better next year? On the one hand, assuming that if Aaron Judge signs an extension to stay in New York, Correa will be far and away the best free agent available on the market once again. And he will not have, there will not be the competition too that other teams can go, well, we can just go to Trevor Story. And funny enough, Story didn't sign until after Correa and also is no longer a shortstop. But I mean, I, I don't know. I, I think the risk is there just because, and I haven't looked through which teams might theoretically need a shortstop at this point, you know, next season. There's just no way of, you know, we we don't necessarily know. Ooh, but, Nolan Arenado could uh, be a free agent next year. Actually, that's, well, actually, I, I should I should correct myself that Correa would, should be the best free agent available, but if Xander yeah. Bogart's offset of his deal, then, then Carlos Correa has more competition shortstop. Although, 
Bogarts is not nearly the defender Correa is at shortstop, and in fact, probably should move to third base or somewhere or second base long term. So, regardless, what what I find what I find just interesting about it is I ostensibly on the surface, there's no real reason. Like all the stuff I just said for Correa and his market was speculation because we we don't know we were not privy to any of the negotiations or any team's planning. But on the surface, there's no real reason why Correa wouldn't get the money he was looking for. I know there, he's had back trouble in the past, but that certainly didn't seem to be an issue last year. I know there's still the residual stink of the sign-stealing scandal, but I think at this point we can pretty definitively say that stealing signs was not the only reason Carlos Correa was a good, is a good Major League player. Maybe that was the difference between someone like Marwin Gonzalez being a regular and a bench bat, but I don't think it's the reason Carlos Correa is who he is now. So unless the, the contract asks from him, just were either completely nonsense or 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 just had no coherence to them. I don't really get why this ended up being the outcome for him. Again, there, mm-hmm. there's nothing on the surface. There there are no real red flags here with Carlos Correa. But I guess in the same in the same vein, like what were the red flags with Bryce Harper and Manny Machado when they both took deals that you know for as big as they were certainly felt a lot smaller. I think than most of us would have expected them to sign. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just wonder if there is an appetite anymore for contracts over 350 million, or if that's just now the, the, the hard limit that a lot of teams are at. I just think it's going to be the youngest of young that teams will do it. I think there's almost like an age where it's like, well, the, the thing is Korea is like 29 or 28. He's, he's not I think even he's 27. I think yeah. He's, 27. he's not, he's not, that's the other thing. It's like, there's not even the red flag of with like someone like Freeman, for example, where it's like, Oh, well, I think it's the injury. Korea. I think Correa is an injury thing. I don't think people are forecasting Correa to be healthy long term. I think that there I, has I, to I be guess, something on that. I guess, but like that, it's just I, again without without us seeing it, we we don't know for yeah. sure. But just other, but like independent of something like that, him ending up in Minnesota just doesn't make any sense. But it is cool because it's Minnesota is now a cha- Minnesota is a chaos team. Byron Buxton, yes. Sonny Gray, they are a chaos. There team. is a lot of upside on that team. There is also a. Mm-hmm ton of downside like right it's just what's I, funny to me about where minnesota is now is that i don't think anyone would have predicted this would have been their off season yeah but the end result is still that they project to be pretty much a 500 ish team even with curry on board because mm-hmm. the truth of it is like and this is you know for as much as i love the chaos it doesn't really feel like minnesota had a very concrete plan in terms of making themselves a kind of genuine contender because that rotation is still very bad beyond sunny we're not mm-hmm. very bad that's not particularly fair to Joe Ryan, but it's, or eh, maybe Dylan Bundy, but it's not a good rotation. It's mm-hmm. a very mediocre rotation with a bit of upside, but a lot of downside and not a whole lot of depth either. Yeah. And it's way too late for Minnesota to do anything about that. I, the best that they can do at this point, And they, you know, there've been rumors that it's happening, but you know, we have yet to see anything so far and we're getting pretty late into spring training already is, uh, which is funny because games literally just started like three days ago, but mm-hmm. is, if the potential of them landing one of Frankie Montes or Sean Manet. And certainly I imagine that, you know, if the twins do go into the season with what they have, maybe there's the belief that, Hey, well, we can upgrade mid season if we really want to, or let's see how Joan Duran and all our, all our other pitching prospects are doing. And maybe we can get some internal reinforcements and et cetera, et cetera. But yeah, it's, it, it does. It doesn't really feel like there was a coherent or cohesive plan here. Mm-hmm. Correa just seemed like he fell into their laps, which I understand. Like, I don't think the twins went into this off season with number one on their whiteboard signed Carlos Correa. I think mm-hmm. this was just a situation that they found themselves in through, through basically a combination of luck and let's call it somewhat advanced planning because 
the other half of this was, was when they traded Josh Donaldson to the Yankees as part of that uh, kind of weird pact. I think you, you and I at the time said, this doesn't really make a lot of, whole, whole lot of sense on the surface right now. And I think mm-hmm. that this is the other half of that. And I think the surprise is, I, I imagine most people were expecting the Twins were going to sign Trevor Story because he seemed to be the the kind of one B to Correa's one A in terms of in terms of price. Funny enough, now he's going to get more money for more years. But yeah, the, the Correa thing it would it would work best, I think, to me if the Twins also were to have added, say, Carlos Rodon along with Sonny Gray, or if they had signed, I don't know, just any of the top. 20 or so free agent available free agent starters would have made a series would have made a good difference here. And I think independent of Korea, that's the thing about the twins offseason. I have the hardest time understanding is why they put so. You know, aside from a few million dollars for Dylan Bundy, who was flat out bad last year and mm. uh, giving up a pretty good prospect in chase Petty. Like, like I said before, right-handed, right-handed power pitchers, are both lottery tickets and really variable. But Chase Petty mm-hmm. was their first round pick in 2021, you know, gave him a lot of money to sign and immediately turn around and deal him for a guy in Sonny Gray. It was fine, but it was very up and down last year and he was, you know, has trouble with home runs and is not, you know, not the most consistent pitcher at times. Totally fine as a mid-rotation guy, but he's a Twins number one starter right now. Mm-hmm. And unless you're convinced that there is something secret in Sonny Gray that you and that you have been able to figure out and unlock this quickly, I don't really know how confident you feel about this group carrying you to better than a 500 record this team can and should hit if everyone is healthy and everyone comes together and hits their hits their upside in particular that means all that means byron buxton has to stay healthy and miguel sano has to stay healthy then yeah this team is going to score a ton of runs but they're also going to give up a fair amount too and we haven't even talked about the bullpen which is not a particularly strong group either no, but hey, they're going for it. They're trying. They're going for it, though. And that, that, like, that's the thing. Like, I don't want to make it sound like the Twins made a mistake or did something They could stupid. have gone the Reds route where it was like, oh, well, I guess it's time to pack it in. We had a horrible year last year. Let's sell off. Let's trade Byron Buxton. Let's. Uh, yeah, they very yeah. easily could have done that. And I appreciate that the Twins decided that that wasn't the way to go. Yeah. And they should be commended for, you know, they saw an opportunity and they took advantage of it. Carlos Correa is going to make them a better team in 2022 and potentially beyond that. The, mm-hmm. the it's just the issue I have or the, the bone I have to pick with them is why didn't you do more beyond that or before that? Like it just, again, it just feels like this, like there wasn't really a set plan for this offseason for the twins aside from just kind of improvise that trade with the Yankees felt kind of improvised, or at least it felt like it kind of came together in a very slapdash way. And the Correa signing very clearly was a, was a la- not a last minute thing, but came out of left field for them. So mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's just my thing. Is I, I just don't think this roster is deep or optimized enough at this point to feel better about the Twins as anything other than making some noise in the Central if things go right, and they're probably going to be in the in the postseason conversation now thanks to the extra two spots. Hmm. But that's the thing. Like, I don't I don't know that if we had kept the same postseason setup, like if we had not expanded the playoffs, I don't think we're talking about the Twins as a serious playoff team. I think we're talking about them as pretty much at best a dark horse central team if things mm-hmm. go right. But and I think this is the problem that both the West and the Central teams are going to run into. They're not better than anyone in the AL East at this point, except for Baltimore. You know, I think you take all four AL East contenders over the Twins right now in terms of playoff probability. But that's the thing about probability, John. It's not a for it's sure a, thing. True. That's it's that's a, only that's that's just some numbers on paper, you goddamn nerds. Yeah. 
I was going to say something about fan graphs, but I'm not going to do it. We're a bunch of nerds. That. It's fine. Yeah. It's like we're not we're not shy about that. We are we're all nerds. Like it is a it is a it is a website built by nerds for nerds, staffed by nerds, loved by nerds. Yeah. There you go. I like it. Um, Trevor Story signed with your Boston Red Sox, John. Um, what? Hold on. Let me do this. Uh, what's the story with mm. Trevor in Boston? So I'm going to just <laughs> just go right past that like it didn't happen. Um, so I liked I like it for Boston, if only because they needed more they needed more offense in that lineup. They added offense at a spot in particular, not just offense at a spot in particular, where they really needed in second base, which has just been a more or less a quicksand pit since Dot- mm-hmm. Dustin Pedroia retired or not even since he retired, since he got hurt uh, like five years ago. Yeah. But also defensively, because he is a good defensive shortstop whose defense should play that much more up at second base. I think we saw that with Marcus Semyon, who went from a bad defender at short to an average defender at short to a flat-out pretty good defender at second base, where he will now be playing permanently. And yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if this ends up being, if Story kinds of end up going the Semyon route, although he's a better defender at short than Semyon ever was. I guess it's going to depend on the health of his arm. So, I mean, that's that's the major concern for me is that that arm injury that Story had last year very clearly affected him, very clearly affected his offense, very clearly affected his defense. He says he is healthy now. There's no reason not to believe him, but obviously arm injuries, it can be tricky things. The other side of it is, you know, what he is like outside of cores. But as has been pointed out many times, one cores, the cores effect has an has both a positive and a negative side. There is a real hangover effect that Rocky hitters have to deal with when they're on the road. And two, whatever Trevor Story loses leaving Colorado as his home field, he gains from losing Colorado as his home field. You know what I mean? Like the road, the yeah. road effect should not be as bad. He's still in a good hitters park overall in Fenway. He's going to be in good hitters parks in the AL East. Uh, he that also is a bonus. Well, you he saw not, Baltimore. You know, Did you see that new uh, the way they, that new design? Oh yeah, where they, they they instead of spending money on pitching the Orioles push the left field wall back. Which I mean, to be fair, that is more efficient than drafting and developing pitching. It takes way less time. But it, it makes sense for Boston a lot, and it's you know, it addresses one of the major problem spots they had at second base mm-hmm. that they really, really needed to do something about if they wanted to be serious contenders. I think the issue with them is kind of similar to Minnesota, not so much in the area, but just in that sense of you kind of there's still a you still need to do more. The outfield in particular is the spot I'm most worried about. Like, you know, there's still some issues there. But, I mean, overall, I I like Story to Boston. There's not really anything about it I don't like. Even I know the price is on on the the bigger side, but that's about what what Story should be worth based on both what he's done and what he's projected to do. And Mm -hmm. if he does hit as he hit in Colorado, as, you know, with last season's mediocre first half accepted, he will be worth all that money and then some. So... I really don't have any quibbles with the deal. I think the, you know, is the best solution possible at second base for them. Aside from, uh, I think I probably would have wanted Semyon, I think a bit more, but Semyon cost way, way more in the process. So, you know, you take what mm. you get. Um, I think now the, the issue for the Red Sox now turns to the outfield and pitching depth, I think is, is something that they need to address. But as with Minnesota, we've now kind of run out of off season and available players with which to do that. I mean, there's, one major free agent left and it's Michael Conforto and he does not seem like some of the teams are all that eager to sign right now. Um, his market has just been absolutely dead and 
based on the fact that he is reportedly not vaccinated uh, against COVID-19, that is also probably going to harm his market overall because uh, these guys just need to be vaccinated at this point. And that's obviously the, the big story we're here now with Aaron Judge and the Yankees and the fact that he will not be able to play in home games in New York if he is not yeah. vaccinated. Um, or in games in Toronto. It's, that is, And that is league-wide. You cannot play in Toronto if you are not vaccinated, which gives the Jays a pretty unique and cool home But what is that new thing that we saw that they're like going to... I forgot who reported on this, but like they're going to shuffle them around the around the stadium where they don't go through the dugout where they like they they change their uniforms. All, all there. they have to do is just get two, not even two shots, one shot. If they if Aaron Judge got the J and J one shot today, he's ready by opening day. Literally, all he has <laughs> to do is sit down for two minutes to have someone poke him with a needle in the arm, and it's over. And none of these shenanigans have to happen. And yet we're at this seconds. place where Yankees owner is badgering City Hall to change the law, to basically to change the rules just for them, the same way the Nets are trying to do with Kyrie Irving. Although the Kyrie yeah. situation is doubly stupid by, because of the whole, he can be in the stadium if he wants, he just cannot yeah. be playing. It makes zero sense whatsoever. Well, wouldn't that be the same but, thing with New York? Wouldn't it just be like Judge can go sit behind home plate? He just and can't yeah, play. I imagine that'd be that'd be the same. Yeah, because it's it, the thing in New York is it's an employee mandate. Yeah, um, it is a is a it a private business employee mandate that you must be vaccinated to work in New York City. Yeah, so he can go he can go to a game. He can go to a Yankees game and sit in the stands unvaccinated without a mask if he if he feels like it. Nobody will stop him and nobody will try. But the second he walks into the Yankees clubhouse and becomes an employee of the New York Yankees, he must be vaccinated. So, yeah, I mean, that that storyline on its own is just a, a, just amazing to me. And I, for what it's worth, I, I don't think it'll be a storyline for the entire season. I can't see that individual employer mandate standing through the summer, particularly if, excuse me, particularly if the COVID rates here in New York stay as low as they have been, but Regardless, just the fact that he will not just go get a vaccine or that he mm. still has not gotten a vaccine. It has been available now for almost a calendar year. Actually, I think just about a calendar year at this point. It is safe. It is easy. There have been no real reported issues with it, aside from very small groups who have really big pre-existing issues. Like, I, I, I don't understand. I really do not understand how we're still here with some of these players. It's been a year. It has been a whole ass year. How? How do you still have questions? How is there still a problem here? Just get the vaccine. Oh my goodness. I don't get it at all. Oh. Like if but I'm a, if I'm a changing. Yankees fan, I, there is yeah. there. If I'm a Yankees fan, my anger doesn't know any bounds. The fact that the Yankees yeah. could lose one of their most important players, vision that will almost certainly be decided by like one or two games because he simply does not want to get the safe, free, and easy vaccination against the against the viral against the virus during a pandemic that has been available for a year. It's just mind blowing. It is the height of selfishness, and it's just come on, man. If I were a Yankees fan, I'd be. I'd be beyond furious. Like how, how, how can you do that? Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's going to be rough, but we're not even there yet. Like we still got some time before we do that. So um, let's end on the Rockies who extended <laughs> oh, Mr. McMahon. And then they paid all the money to Chris Bryant. We talk they about chaos teams. 
They gave him I mean, a lot but of they're, money. They're, they're the perpetual chaos team because no one yeah. ever knows what they're doing. And I don't like, think what are the Rockies doing? doing? What are the Rockies doing, John? So I'm, I, I want to be just clear. I have, I, I, the Rockies should not be, and, and I think there, it's very easy to make this, uh, to make this argument that, oh, if you want teams to spend money, but then you get mad at the Rockies. No one's mad at the Rockies for spending money. I'm not mm. mad at the Rockies. Good on the good on the Rockies for trying to bring good players to their team. That's the whole mm-hmm. goddamn point. The point is that they're they they brought this guy after they chased away good players. Yeah. It's building the timeline of all the Rockies' decisions from the point at which Nolan Arenado signed his extension to the point at which Chris Bryant signed his contract. And then on top of everything, to give him the money they did, which mm. good for Chris Bryant for getting that money, especially coming out after the Cubs screwed him the way they did with his service time manipulation. Good on him for getting the money. Scott Boris once again proves himself to be a wizard of the highest order. But I I, I don't... Uh, like it, it is impossible to find the, the, the through line of logic for this particular mm-hmm. move. There, there just is none to be discovered. Like the only thing you can say is, well, they're trying to make the team better after they have, after they made the team, not just made the team worse, but also mm-hmm. did not choose the correct avenues in which like letting Trevor story walk without a qualifying offer un- mm-hmm. incredibly stupid letting not trading John Gray at mid season when it was very clear he was not going to come back incredibly stupid. Like yeah. they, they're just not a forward thinking team. And that I think that just, that just takes into account everything they do. They don't seem to have any kind of plan. Mm-hmm. Like this Chris Bryan thing was very clearly one of those old school, like Scott Boris got the ear of Amon Fort and basically said, this guy checks all your boxes mm-hmm. because I, I, it just makes no sense. Otherwise on top of everything else, they're going to play him in left field full time. Which, granted, I don't think Chris Bryan... Chris Bryan is an average defensive third baseman at this point, and I don't think he would have been long-term a long-term third baseman anyway. And they like Ryan McMahon there, and McMahon is a good defender. And Granted, I actually like that extension for him. It makes sense. Like, they got to keep some of these good, not great players around, and McMahon has a pretty good chance to be better. He was a really top... He was a really big prospect back in the day, who, should be noted, was horribly mismanaged by Rockies by the Rockies front office. Mm. But it, it, it just doesn't... Like, there were... There were options that made if the Rockies wanted to be a better team, there were better options than giving all that money over seven years with a full no trade clause to Chris Bryant. He is one dude on a team that won like six, what, 66 games last year, 70 games last year, however many games the Rockies won. You know, this, I, I, I don't know, or like, are the, the, the unifying reality among bad baseball owners, because this is something I think Artie Moreno stumbles with too, is that they seem to think that spending a lot of money on one really good player fixes things as opposed to spending that money in a more spread out fashion, either on players or on say stuff like player development or on making sure that the guy you hired to run your research and development department doesn't quit after like six months over major differences in opinion. Like maybe that's where that money should be going instead. Instead of just giving $182 million to Chris Bryant so you can go from a projected like 70 wins in 2022 to 72 wins. Like this is the kind of dumb spending that made Sabermetrics such a big deal mm-hmm. because team owners like more regularly did stuff like this where you just look around and go, what are you doing this for? Right. Like there's no, the benefit of them signing Chris Bryant is so small that it, it, it I mean, just God bless the Rockies though. They, they do whatever they feel like. 
I just they're, like it. They're just out I just here doing hood rat shit <laughs> get with their friends. I just I don't know, man. The being a Rockies fan's gotta be just the weirdest. Yeah, because you have no idea what they're doing at any given time. Yeah. But I don't think we ever have. Like, I don't think the Rockies no. have ever had like a five-year coherent plan. Where no, you're the, like, close, okay. the closest we've seen to them having any kind of like, oh, it looks like they finally figured it out, was yeah. that 2017-2018 chunk where Kyle Freeland was briefly like one of the five yeah. best pitchers in baseball. And their offense was not great, but they had Arenado in his prime and they had Charlie Blackman still young and they had Story coming up. And like, there was a reason for them to be optimistic. And it yeah. seemed like they had finally figured out this is how we develop pitchers in Colorado. This is how we can actually build a winning ball club. And then it fell apart because one, Jeff British it was an atrocious free agent evaluator who yeah. wasted ungodly amounts of money on ve- not just wasted money, but wasted money also on players who were very obviously not going to pay off in the way that the that the Rockies wanted them to. I mean, like that whole brief period where they just randomly spent like sixty million dollars on their bullpen and it was flat out awful. Like you just get the sense that what hamstrings the Rockies time and time again is that there is not a consistent, stable, reliable group of evaluators and front office personnel in that in that franchise who can actually create a a path or some kind of 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 model for consistency. There, there's no consistency because when you're at the hands of a pair of a of a dipshit family business, essentially, yeah. like that's kind of thing. The the Rockies are run like a bad family business. Like think about think about whatever bakery or pizza place or or electronic store is in your neighborhood where every time you go in, there's half the shit's not on the shelves and the other half is completely like not where it's supposed to be. Like the people behind the counter are always fighting with each other. Like they're for like that's what it is. It's a badly run family business because there's Mm. the people who are in charge are not in charge by dint of their knowledge or their skills or their baseball analytics expertise, they're there because they're Charlie Montfort's kids. Mm -hmm. And when those people are allowed to make decisions, that's how you get Nolan Arenado traded mostly out of spite. And then you turn around and give $182 million to a younger, but not as good defensive version of Arenado. Like (laughs) there, there's no plan because there are no, there are no adults in the room. There is no one in Colorado seemingly who can say, this is how we build a winning team. And that's how you end up in a place where you just have random free agent splurges. And then you spend the rest of your time just signing broken down players off the scrap heap because you don't know how to fill those parts on the roster consistently, which is why, again, I like the McMahon extension because those are the guys on, those are the pieces on the roster you need. If you're ever going to be competitive on a regular basis, you need those guys who are two to three war players on a semi-regular basis. Colorado doesn't develop them, doesn't sign, doesn't trade for them. They don't know how to create them. And so, mm-hmm. and I think, like you said, like I said, you see that problem in, in places like with the Angels too, where mm-hmm. player development and draft stuff and free agent evaluation is really poor, except for when they go after really big names. And even there, it's not particularly good because there doesn't seem to be any sense of why they signed this guy beyond, oh, because he's available and he's really good. Like mm-hmm. what, if, what if you were to ask the Rockies, like for an analytical reason, why they signed Chris Bryant, what would you get in response? Vibes, yeah. Or you'd get well from the Midwest. He, he was he MVP. was super chill. Yeah, he's a nice. He was dude. like he's very. He's very handsome. Like people rave about him. But like you're not going to get any eyes. Un- you get lost in. You're not going to get any kind of understanding. I think of whether or not Chris Bryant makes sense for Coors Field, for the current Rockies, for the future Rockies. 
like what his future defense. I it doesn't really feel like any of those things are ever considered when the Rockies do something. They are they, to tie it back. They operate no thoughts, just vibes. There are no yeah. thoughts at all in Colorado's front office. It's just whatever, man. And like I think part of that too is like a large part of why Bryant is in Colorado is because their current GM, Bill Schmidt, was one of the guys who scouted Bryant when he was drafted by the Cubs. He's been mm. in love with Brian for going on a decade now. Like those are the kinds of personal relationships that help in free agency, but those are also the kind of personal relationships that smart agents like Scott Boris know how to take advantage of in free agency. And that's how you end up giving $182 million to Chris Bryant without doing really anything else over the course of the offseason because you just get blinkered. You get tunnel vision because you don't have a coherent plan. You don't have someone at the in the you don't have someone in the room raising their hand and going, guys, 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 like we need to do other stuff too. We can't just got to do more than this or maybe this isn't the smartest thing we can do the rockies don't have that they very clearly do not have that and god bless them for like yeah sometimes it's fun where there's there's a team that zags when everyone else zigs even if they're zagging their way off the edge of the cliff it's funny to watch that it's funny to me personally we're having fun john taylor what can the good folks fun. check out at fangraphs.com this week so we now that baseball has more or less wrapped up the offseason, it seems like you can find all our analysis of all the moves that happen. If you go to the site, Meg Rowley, our intrepid editor in chief, so very nicely or sorry, managing editor. So very nicely put together a roundup post of all our analysis. You can find not just our, our takes on the signings pre lockout, but also post lockout uh, coming up. Eventually, we will start getting into more season and team preview stuff. We have our positional power rankings coming uh, in the next couple weeks where we rank every team by at each position one through 30. Uh, we have more top pros- team prospect lists coming. The Rays are coming on Wednesday. That one is going to be a big one. 60 some players for one of the deepest and best farm systems in baseball uh, from our good folks, Eric Longenhagen and Tess Taruskin. But yeah, come on over to Fangrass. We're still running. Pl- we still got plenty of stuff to talk about before the season starts. And the season starts in like three weeks, less than that. Two weeks, two weeks. We're two weeks out from the start of the season, basically. That's wild. Absolutely wild. But I'm, I'm glad. Hey, I'm glad. I'm glad too. It's it's I'm I'm very excited for baseball. I'm very excited not to have to talk about projections and money shit anymore. Let's just actually talk about watching people like well, I was gonna say Fernando Tatis Jr., but it doesn't really work. Or like just just today, the two things that just got me so amped up. One is just uh, 13 seconds of Jacob deGrom striking guys out and looking god tier as he did before before he got hurt which just makes me so happy and excited and watching bobby witt jr destroy a ball in a spring training training game against the a's there's just so much cool great talent in baseball and i'm so so happy that it's coming back soon and that we didn't get screwed out of it because bob nutting wanted an extra five million dollars in revenue sharing there you go there you go john taylor follow you on twitter ja taylor go subscribe folks before the season Fangraphs.com. Go get Baseball Prospectus's annual. If you have not already done so, the 2022 annual. Get it at their website. You can get it on Amazon. All that good stuff. Um, John Taylor, next week, be back. More baseball. More stuff to cover. Thank you, as always, my friend. And I'll talk to you very soon. Later. All right, we're back here on the Chase and podcast, where I am now joined by a first-timer, Nick Oson, he covers the Iowa State Cyclones, a team that I've just been enamored with since Seneca Wallace was out here stunning on the Texas Tech Red Raiders early in my childhood. Uh, <laughs> Nick's here, covers the like the Cyclones, like I said, for 247 Sports, 
great website that you should go subscribe to if you're not you've not already done so. Nick, good evening, sir. How are you? I'm great, man. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here, man. Um, in all seriousness, I really have been like the the Cyclones have just been rock solid in the Big Twelve the last couple of years. Matt Campbell's done a great job, and they've just been close. They've been a team that a lot of people have talked themselves into in the offseason. Like, is this the year that the the clones break through and all that kind of stuff? But before we get into Iowa State football and the spring questions, I want to ask you about the basketball team who had a just an unreal season from hell a year ago where coach gets fired. No one saw it coming. Like everyone was rooting for him to succeed. Doesn't go well. They change gears, hire someone new and completely flip flip the script in year one. Like what, what do you make of the Iowa state basketball turnaround this year? Yeah, I think it was honestly kind of one of those situations where it's just a perfect match. The, the new coach, and the staff, TJ Otzelberger, just bleeds kind of pride for Iowa State. And mm. they really got the team to buy into this kind of defensive philosophy. And clearly, nearly unimaginable, they, they turned it around in year one. And the team has danced all the way to the Sweet 16 so far, Chase. Yeah, it's it's so weird that they're they're here. And of course, like, of course, like Iowa State's there in Tennessee, who just wins the SEC. We we can't get through to the Sweet 16. But Iowa State, who <laughs> was just god-awful last year, is right there in the Sweet 16 uh, one year later, um, following Steve Prem's exit. But, yeah, I don't know. It's exciting. Do you see this team being able to advance past the Sweet 16? Like, what uh, what's on the court? Like, who has been the reason, the biggest reason for this this resurgence? It's interesting. So Isaiah Brockington has definitely been kind of their best player really on mm. both ends throughout the season. But so far in the tournament, it's been point guard Tyrese Hunter, who absolutely exploded with for seven three-pointers back home mm. in Wisconsin to win the first game. And then Gabe Kelsher, another transfer, former Big Ten guy, really performed well against the Badgers. So it kind of feels like it's time for a Brockington game. And as you know, being an SEC guy, Auburn is out now, so I think Iowa State might have gotten kind of a better matchup now with Miami. It's not mm. going to be easy, but the Cyclones will have a fairly good matchup in terms of on-court defense as well as the home-court advantage here in Chicago. Interesting. Um, do you think it's sustainable? Do you think that the they've turned it around and that he's going to be the long-term answer for, for the clones on the basketball front names? I absolutely do. Okay. I think that especially once he gets some of his guys in terms of recruiting, maybe lands a couple potential stars in the transfer portal, I think Iowa State basketball is back. I really do. That's awesome. And um, yeah, that's that's an awesome thing. So I'm excited. And we'll see what happens uh, in the Sweet 16 with the clones. But in terms of I mean, the combo, like with <laughs> there's two guys that everyone's talking about that like, Brees Hall just had an unreal run at Iowa State, just a machine for many years now. And I love watching him play. And Brees Hall was just, he was fantastic in, uh, in Ames. And him and Brock Purdy were the biggest, the two biggest reasons outside of Matt Campbell that like, oh, this is a team that we should see. They're like, oh, they, they can break through. They're going to be good. And we we trust these guys. And Purdy obviously having just the, the horrific game against Iowa, um, 
changed the course of their season a little bit last year. But in terms of Brees Hall, like he's getting some late round one love. And then you have Brock Purdy, his pro day this week. Like, what do you what do you make about Brock Purdy? Um, but you saw what you saw last year, where you think he'll end up. Um, does he have a chance at success at the NFL level? And then what uh, what should teams who are thinking about looking at Brees Hall as like a Derrick Henry type? What uh, what would you say to them? Yeah, I think Brock Purdy has really helped himself kind of in these last few weeks in terms of the NFL draft process. I think mm. he showed me something today at the pro day. He can throw a little bit better on the move than I kind of anticipated. Mm. A very smart, you know, well-spoken leader. I was impressed by kind of his his motivational skills and kind of how he brings things together, as well as his deep ball. It was something that he admittedly didn't show a ton of at Iowa State, and he did pretty well with that today. And as for Brees Hall, I haven't been around too many stars like him that you know, kind of have this aura of confidence, but also a level of humility and knowing the work and, and the support staff that kind of got him there. I don't think mm-hmm. that he's, you know, a guy that's ever going to be satisfied very quickly. I, I think that he's got a good shot to be healthy. I think that he's improved his speed in the last season. And I think he's got a real chance to go at the bottom of round one and, you know, potentially be a star in the making in the NFL. That's interesting. What did you were at per day this week, Iowa State's per day. What did you see? What were your what were your takeaways? Yeah, so one thing that I thought was really good was kind of Brock Purdy's speed on the run as well as kind of his accuracy. Uh Brees Hall actually lined up out wide a lot trying to kind of showcase hmm. some of his, you know, catching ability, versatility. That's obviously something, you know, as you know, in the NFL, that's a big deal for running backs now. It's, yeah. you know, unless you are a Derrick Henry, right, maybe you're not just going to get the rock 25 to 30 times and, you know, kind of run run between the tackles. So that, that was a big thing for those two. And then you're going to hear a lot of buzz. This was actually kind of the biggest name generated that I heard today in Charlie Kohler, the tight end, a multiple-time mm. All-American He's kind of moved his way into the top three to four tight ends of this draft, and he'll likely be going in about early round three, which obviously is really impressive for a college tight end. Interesting. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of optimism there. And I mean, that that's a good look for the Iowa State program if Brees Hall can sneak his way into the first round. Um, I'm a big, big Brees Hall guy. If he was there in round two, if he was there in like round three or four in Atlanta, I would... Uh, I would be more interested, but we're just, we're not in the, we're not in the place. Like with Arthur Smith, like the, the Derrick Henry history with him in Tennessee, it's like, Oh, are they going to take a swing on a running back in the first round? Like a Kenneth Walker, or a Brees Hall. But I don't know. I I'm curious to see where he ends up going and uh, what team takes a chance on him. Uh, and late in the first round, if that ends up being the case, um, are you surprised that Matt Campbell is still in Ames? Only in kind of the most positive way, which I, I mm-hmm. assume is kind of how you're asking, because I know how yeah. closely you follow college football. I am yeah. a little bit. Uh, when I actually, you know, got this job last year, I I had some kind of questions about if there would be that continuity with the staff, and obviously that affects recruiting and you know on field success. But now that I've learned a, a little bit more about him, been around him more, and, and the staff a lot. Similar to TJ, you know, he didn't necessarily have as as much of the Iowa State roots earlier in his coaching career, but this culture is, is so important to him. I know that, you know, you followed some of my pro day coverage and yeah. that was another one of my 
takeaways today. I mean, these guys are just so tight knit. Like they have this sense of pride that they turn things around. And obviously Matt Campbell was at the forefront of that. As you know, that, that was kind of a big deal here in Ames. So now that I've learned a little bit more about him, not necessarily, but at the forefront, yes, I was surprised. He's gotten some great, at least interest. He's a name that always kind of bubbles in the coaching carousel and likely will for a while. But yeah, you know, Iowa State's lucky and and I think he still really enjoys being here in Ames, Chase. Did you hear anything with Notre Dame? Not as much in this cycle. Actually, their defensive coordinator, Iowa State's almost left to go to Notre Dame. They were in some pretty deep talks. Yep. Um, actually just spoke with him at, at pro day today. Obviously yeah. not about that, but <laughs> it, it just kind of speaks to, you know, the continuity. Like I said, you know, coach Haycock, he also has a son on staff. I think that was part of it. You know, he's an older coach and and I think he feels that Campbell and many members of the coaches are here to stay for a little while. And he wanted to be a part of it. And, and, you know, I've kind of been told as well as heard from some of their, uh, some of their own, that this staff is really, you know, proud of what they've done, but also determined to be able to win and continue this culture after losing those big names, like you mentioned, in a Brock Purdy and Brees Hall. Who's who's the next QB? Who's who's following Brock Purdy in, in Ames this fall? So that's likely going to be Hunter Deckers. Uh, he's got okay. a big arm, a little bit more of a, you know, dual threat uh, runner and athlete than Brock Purdy. Definitely can work on some of his accuracy compared to uh, some of what Brock showed during his time here but expectations are actually pretty high around him and this offense and it's a unit that I'm very excited to see and cover this season what have you learned most about Matt Campbell and the Iowa State program since you you joined the beat last year I've learned and and this is a word you're going to hear a lot you know in in Uh coverage and recruiting consistency whether it's on the field, off the field, at press conferences, dealing with recruits, Campbell is is about as good of a person as he appears to be. And he really comes off as just a very genuine, caring, hardworking individual. And I think that is kind of exuded into these men that have come through the program and obviously now looking to make the next level. Mm-hmm. I think that speaks a lot to kind of who he is as a human and you know, how he came up. And I think it's generally had a really positive effect on recruiting, especially when I talk to these kids. That's a constant thing that I'm hearing is consistency and how much these coaches care about them. What was the most intriguing storyline that you covered this fall? What was something that you, you, you were just following with the team all season long? Yeah, that's that's a really good question. I would probably say one of the best, you know, that I kind of saw when I got there toward the end of the season was kind of this emergence of the dual tight ends uh, in, in hmm. Charlie Kohler and Chase Allen, who I hadn't mentioned, but he actually got invited to the NFL Combine as well. So they had two tight ends good enough to do that. Kohler, I mentioned, Allen has a chance to get drafted just like Purdy, you know, kind of late. And the fact that They've been able to have multiple guys in that formation, in that personnel to be able to produce like that is another really important thing for the offense. And it'll be interesting to see how that continues when the Mm -hmm. offense changes with a guy more of, you know, kind of a big arm and that can run in Hunter Deckers. 
So what's going to be the biggest difference between Purdy and Deckers? Is it just like, because Purdy, obviously, like he had a big arm, but Deckers seems like he's another live arm dude, but he's bigger. He'll move around more. But who, um, what what will be the biggest on field difference that Iowa, fan, Iowa State fans should expect to see on, on Saturdays this fall? I would say a lot more designed runs for the quarterback, especially mm-hmm. with Deckers. I mean, I actually just saw him today. This mm-hmm. this guy's pretty athletic. He's built really well for a running quarterback. So I would say that mixed with kind of more of a vertical threat and going deep on the offense with his arm and with some of the talent that they have at the wide receiver position mixed with Decker's ability. I think this offense is going to look a little different than it has the last three seasons. When you look at the the schedule this fall and you see what they did last year, seven and six, obviously not the kind of year Iowa State wanted to have. Um, it was a good seven and six. Like it was they were a really hard team to forecast. And look, Oklahoma State and Baylor made the leap. Oklahoma had the season from hell and still went 11 and two. But they're still finished fourth in the Big 12. It wasn't like a Texas situation, but I I'm curious. Do you think they bounce back? Is the expectation that Campbell really does to kind of like get his stock back up? Do you think that was part of why he wasn't more in the running was because it was kind of a down year for Iowa State? And when you look at this schedule, do you see more wins coming, even with a new quarterback, losing Brees Hall, losing the tight ends? Like, do you see this being a different story this year? I mean, you get Iowa at home, you get Baylor at home, you get K-State at home, you get Oklahoma at home. Uh, you get West Virginia at home. You get Texas Tech at home. Like when you look at this get- schedule, like it seems like they should bounce back next year, right? I am of the mindset that they do. I I think that a lot of you know media members are kind of setting the win total at around last year, maybe even a little lower, just because there mm-hmm. are still you know some tough games in the Big Twelve Conference, and there are going to be a lot of question marks with who they've lost, but. I've gone on record as, you know, being really high on the offense, on some of the guys coming back, Deckers, and some of the guys in the pass rush. So I'm probably, yeah, more kind of how you were, you know, seeming to lean and maybe a minor increase in wins, impressing some people and, you know, maybe surging those expectations a little bit. But based on what I've gathered from fans and just people around the team, I don't Mm. think expectations are going to be too much higher than what they ended up being last year. Interesting. What is your biggest spring storyline that you're you're watching? Is there a, a battle? Is there a position battle? Is there uh, new recruits coming in that you want to see how they figure into the rotation this spring and summer? What are what are you monitoring the most? Yeah, that probably, you know, they kind of meld together actually. There's a new recruit, Greg Gaines, at wide receiver, one of my favorite positions in sports. And Mm. there is going to be a lot of talent at that position. And there are also going to be spots, you know, kind of to fill. I mean, a lot of talent came back, but because of the talent lost at tight end, there are going to be a lot of, you know, potential production and yards to be had. So I've been impressed with Gaines. I've heard a lot of good things about the wide receiver group. And then I think the defensive backfield is going to impress some people as well. It's a young group, a lot of sophomores and juniors, you know, essentially pretty young for a big 12 corners and safeties, but there is a lot of talent. I've heard a lot of great things about some of the younger players on this team. And like I said, I think combined with who came back, especially kind of on the fronts on each side, I think this team could surprise some people. Okay. I like it. Give me a win total. 
based on where we're at March 22nd. Give me when you look at the schedule, give me your, your win total right now. Like I said, my man, I'm an optimist, so I will set that uh, with the bowl game included, we'll say. Um, no, no bowl game. No I don't like game? that. We're okay. not doing the bowl game. With all the opt-outs now, and if you're not in the playoff, like, who knows who plays? Bowl games, like, bowl games got killed. The playoff expansion killed bowl season. I, I just, I won't do it. I won't do it. Like, South Carolina did not have the same amount of wins as the University of Tennessee this past year, and the co-coach of the year nonsense. Won't, won't hear of it. Won't stand for it. Won't do it. Uh, but anyway, continue. <laughs> I will set it at seven and a half. I mean, I can't go too much higher based on who they've lost the schedule. And if we're just looking at the regular mm-hmm. season, uh, because Iowa is always tough, there are going to be improved teams in the big 12, but you know, I think if they hit around seven and forbid me to say, maybe get a bull win. Uh, mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would be happy with that because they know, I mean, there's a reason this pro day was so hyped up because yeah, the team is losing so much of the talent that they've had and, and some of the biggest names that this program has really ever seen in the last 20 to 30 years. Well, there you go. There you go. I'm excited. I like Campbell's program. I like how he coaches. I like the atmosphere names and their their program that I, I like to see do well. So I'm excited to see what happens this uh, this spring, the position battle, see what the this fall looks like for them. But uh, thank you so much for making the time, man. Uh, how do the good folks keep up with your work across 247? Yeah, I really appreciate it. So go on to you know 247sports.com or Cyclone Alert. Either way, mm-hmm. you can get there. And this is one of the busiest weeks, not just here, but really that I've had of my life. Like you mentioned, the pro day. I'm actually yeah headed to Chicago later on to cover the Sweet 16, and I'll still be following up with recruits. So a lot of that is online. We've got active message boards and you know, so far it's really good, Chase. I appreciate it. Awesome. Awesome. Well, keep up the good work, man. Good luck uh, this spring and summer, and uh, we'll check back in again soon. Can't wait, man. Thanks for having me. Take care. All right. That'll do it for this edition, the March 23rd, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas Podcast. Hope you guys enjoyed this jam-packed episode. Uh, thank you again to my wonderful guests for coming on today's edition of the podcast. Make sure you give them a follow and keep up with their work if you've not already done so. And if you like today's episode and you'd like to help support the show, guess what? All you got to do is this easy, free, leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and a review. Tell us what you like about the podcast, all that good stuff, and why other folks should check it out. Uh, don't forget, folks, you can also watch this very program on the on YouTube, youtube.com, type in the Chase Thomas Podcast. That's simple. Go check out chasethomaspodcast.com, the homepage, uh, sportsrenaissancemand.substack.com, type in your email. That's simple. Follow myself on Twitter at chase double underscore Thomas. Like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer new episode tomorrow per usual um i will talk to you guys very soon up in there how'd i do nicely done nephew chase thomas podcast hell yeah